What's going on, everybody? This is McEnroe, a.k.a. Rod Bailey, and this is the Peanuts and Corn Podcast. I think this is episode 26, and uh, we're almost done. We've done a whole bunch of them this year, and we're going to wind it down. I'm extremely thrilled with to have my next guest with me. We haven't talked in almost a decade, I think. I don't know exactly when, but I will introduce Josh Martinez, a.k.a. Matthew Kimber, to the conversation, and welcome to the Peanuts and Corn Podcast. My friend, it is a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm really excited to see you, and uh, you know, it's been a while. We have a long, different history than what we've had, than a lot of the people that I've had on the podcast. A completely different story, I think. So I'm really excited, and I'm I'm worried we're not going to have enough time, but we have so much to dive into. Because uh, I'll do I'll do my best to uh, to uh, I'll take your uh, your visual cues. If yeah. you want me to, cut it off, no, just no, go. it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I like to let it roll and just have fun. But uh, you know, anyone has the freedom to stop listening whenever they want. But uh, you know. So far, the the response to this has been really positive. So, um, so let's get going. Like I want to, you know, I met you in early uh, 2000s when I moved to Vancouver, and I think you moved to Vancouver around the same time. But I always like to start with like this rap shit and why guys like <laughs> us got into this rap shit, especially from where we were from. And I was from uh, Winnipeg. And now, do I have this right? You were from Halifax, or what is your what's your story like early on as a teen and as a influenced youth getting into this culture? Uh, well, so as a youth, I was uh, I was Halifax, Nova Scotia. Okay. Um, so I grew up with all of the Haligonians, all the like that the multiple scenes within Halifax. So yeah. there was like uh, a weirdo scene. Uh, which of course I gravitated toward. And so who's the, uh, who's Buck, the weirdo scene? Uh, well, obviously Buck 65, 62, uh, you know, Moves was a weirdo in his own way. Yeah. Uh, Cause he's just a good dude. Uh, but he would, he could, he could be grimy and also uh, esoteric at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and, and Gordo, Gordski, Tachichi, The Goods. I mean, the Halifax boys were really a big part of my come up. And then of course it was the, you know, classified and, um, you know, a whole slew of, of a, that more sort of hip hop posse, less weirdo, more hip hop. Yeah. Um, but anyway, all everybody was really good there. Everybody was just really nice. And so, yeah, that was my, my upbringing was in that weird world. And like, were you kind of a, I, do I have this right that I, I mean, some of those guys got started in the early 90s and you didn't really start recording until maybe the later 90s. Were you correct? Were you yeah, just like so, a few years younger than guys like Rich and and Rob or? Of course, yeah. So I'm I'm about five years, five to seven years younger than that that particular circle of crew, right? Um, and also I didn't start rapping till like second year of college, okay. so I wasn't like I I I basically came on it by accident. It was mostly because uh, you know no, Kunga from the Goods was. Uh, one of my best friends and he was active in hip hop and I wrote poetry and um, did acid. So uh, we all had our, <laughs> we all had our roles. Right. Um, you know, so it wasn't, not, it was definitely not anything that I was, I had been like, you know, all my life, I wish I could, you know, grow up to be a rapper. Like I listen to hip hop, but I listen to a bunch of other music. It wasn't yeah. anything that was like, um, that I was predestined for or that I had grown up wanting to be. It was something I kind of stumbled into just because that's what my friends were doing. Right. And, and your friend, and so specifically Kunga. Uh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I... It was him who made the connection with Gordski 
um, and with Tachichi and moves. Like I really kind of went in with with those guys, but very much just because we liked we all liked hanging out and we listened to hip hop and we drank you know drank booze and yeah. uh, you know did the East Coast thing and and that's how we all kind of liked each other and got along. You know, Kungo was more gearing, wanting to be an MC, wanting to get his stuff on on CD to, to album, and I was more. Um, I'm in college. Uh, I write poetry. I'm not really interested in school. So if right. we got to stay up late and make music, that sounds awesome too. Right. Uh, so you come out and and so your first rap name. Do I have this right? Is like Maximum Wellbeing, or do or my is that what you were called? Maxwell was my very first rap name, okay. and Maximum Wellbeing was my first tape. Um, so uh, Maxwell is my grandpa's name. Uh, I came up with that probably about six months before I heard that Maxwell was an internationally famous R&B superstar. Yes. Uh, again, just just missed that <laughs> one. Uh, so that was that was of course the uh, in between. I released that tape under that name. Found out I was like, well, I've obviously got to change my name. Um, right. And then that basically began the quest for name number two. Right. <laughs> well, let's listen. Let's listen to uh, the this song off of uh, Maximum Wellbeing. So Jeez. I guess it's it's still online, which is interesting. A lot of people who have their first tape wouldn't have uh, put it online. So I risk. I mean, listen, my first tape is online, so I respect. But a let, lot, you know, a lot of this. Let the world know. Let like world, pretty much everything is online, which is cool. So let's listen to this. This is called More or Less. Now, was this all produced by Moves, or do or do I yes. have that wrong? Okay. So yeah. No, a whole whole album produced by Moves. Moves took me under his wing as only moves can do and recorded a whole project with me for no reason other than hanging out hanging that's out that's what he does yeah that's what he does he had some smokes to smoke so he wanted to get in it <laughs> all right let's do this this is more or less more or less Contrast, angioplastic, surgically remove your mask, more artifacts, cause in fact, little 
Little T's reenactment of Biggie's legacy was a testament to his MC ability. And most importantly, let's have some more of me. Cause I'm Maxwell, making tracks while acting as hip hop's fattest hippie. More or less of what I don't need in stress. Sometimes instead of rhymes, I flex my sex muscle in the mirror. With every breath, I'm less convinced, and as I wince, the ending of the world draws nearer, more or less. More or less of what I don't need in stress. Sometimes instead of rhymes, I flex my sex muscle in the mirror. With every breath, I'm less convinced, and as I wince, the ending of the world draws nearer, more or less. Less investigative journalism, scratch tabloids, less irrelevant factoids, and add to the confusion infused in white noise. Less subliminal thoughts sent, less pet of anger that develops into danger, less no rangers and tontos, less Elliot Ness, untouchable, strange, combustible combos mixed with the bongos getting gonzo. Fluctuating, less venerating while I'm busy making babies. Less ladies carrying scabby flags, being vague about the egg cycle. Less recycling the police in every breath you take. Less puffy, less foxy brown. Less sound from those circus clowns. Make music, please. For the love of everything sacred, less taking and more giving. Reliving and receiving and breathing in the belief of going beyond. Less frogs in the pond. Less cocks in your sweaty palm. Less intoxicating, unnatural sense. I'm sent free, smelling like nature, baby. Raising the ways of less pain upon the pavement instead of in a hollow cave den drawing buffaloes with less clothes roaming freely in our shadows less amusing abusing god's graces as a ruse to excuse your views on being racist open spaces less polluted by russian laser razor sharp human faces less hollywood movie groupies who excuse the soupiness of their existence less idiots spending time talking rumor mill churning about dead men walking less cocking and more learning by the burning midnight oil as we return to the soil like rain to remain being loyal Draws nearer, more or less. More or less of what I don't need in stress. Sometimes instead of rhymes, I flex my sex muscle in the mirror. With every breath, I'm less convinced, and as I wince, the ending of the world draws nearer, more or less. That was DJ Moves produce production of Maximum Well-Being, more or less. And you were saying when we were uh, listening to it that uh, you would, you know, do takes and never, never do hit it the same way twice. Jesus, yeah. This is the era that extends past Hooded Fang, my second full album, where I didn't really know where the bar ended or what bars were. I right. knew how to write long form words that rhymed together in volume. Yeah. Uh, which meant I could start on the one and end on the 26, and then we'll retake, and then I end on the 29. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot of room for those words to be rapid fire or switched out or. You know, uh, the, the other part that I laughed at is at the very end of the song. I was like, there's just no way I could ever do that cadence again. Yeah. It's just not, it's not, I, I, <laughs> turns out I learned about at least two albums in how bars work, yeah. how musical time signature works, <laughs> and how you can do a repeatable thing and actually do it the same way every time. Yeah. Or, you know, inflection differently, but at least this is how long I will fill in the time with my words as opposed to let's see what happens. Yeah. 
So working with moves, um, how was that? As because I mean, I would think that if you were new to this and this is your new tape, your first tape, he'd been around for a while at this point. So mm-hmm. were you intimidated to work with him or anything, or was it all all good? Oh no, intimidated for sure. I mean, you know, he's he's actually a he was he's a bit he's a I don't know four or five years older. Um, he, as you said, I mean, he does have history. I know who he is. He's a super nice guy. He's always really nice, but he's pretty gruff. Yeah. And until you know him, that that gruffness is just this like pure heart. You're, it, he's he's an intimidating dude. Yeah. Um, but then you know he just as the night goes on and you're working with him, he just gets looser and nicer and more like just kind of like lets you in, uh, you know, into his gruff world. And and then he. You know, he'll do shit where he'll just like, kind of like, he'll play the song that's like just the most beautiful, you know, environment and like soundscape. And you listen to it, you're like, out of all that, like all those ciggies and all that coffee and all that grumpy facade, yeah, you got a real nice like sunshine inside you. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, he's intimidating, but it doesn't take long to see that he's a softie and he's one of the nicest most giving people you'll ever meet. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody ever speaks ill of moves when it comes to Canadian hip hop. I mean, he really, he put more artists on his back for nothing other than he was just available and he made himself available to do it. His his favorite thing is just hanging out and making records and doesn't care. He doesn't care if like rappers are good, rappers are bad. He's just like, let's hang out. Let's hang out. Let me get to know you. I'll play some beats. You can rap on them. And then he coaches you. Like he actually is, all of his advice is like super straightforward and really helpful. And you just kind of, when you hear from him, he's not pulling punches, but it's not personal. It's just like, hey, so I've seen a lot of things. Do this and don't do this. Right. Okay. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I'll do exactly that and won't do that. So you can't be Maxwell because there's already an international superstar named Maxwell. So you decide you're going to be something else and you come up with Josh Martinez. Well, it was an iterative process. Uh, Josh Martinez was not the first. Um, But the long and short of it was I, um, in second year college, had uh, some nice dreadlocks, um, according to... um, people who like those sorts of things yeah uh so i had a ethnic look uh in uh nova scotia uh so i was seen by a talent scout um and so i did some ethnic modeling okay um he like even saying that now makes my whole fucking body cringe right um but i had an ethnic look and so when they required some ethnicity at the local sears catwalk show yeah uh your boy got a call. It was the subject of many jokes to my closest friends, uh, obviously. Um, so I had a mo- I had a series of modeling names. Um, they were international and ethnic. Um, uh, the only one I can remember now was Raul McGregor, uh, the Spanish Scot. Uh, it was all. It was like, and again, this went on for a while. There was a lot better ones. Josh Martinez, Puerto Rican Jew. Uh, it matched more where I was working with, uh, you know, and so it was it, how we got there. I never quite remember how the, I think I just as a, at a show, it was like, and coming up, Josh Martinez. And I was like, oh, uh, here it is. Uh, I guess that's 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 what we're rolling with then, huh? 
Um, so it was good. It was just, it wasn't, I, I thought it was funny to have someone else's real name as my rap name. Yeah. And there's kind of a, a big influence from Hunter S. Thompson and kind of gonzo performance life where you can write something and live something different. Uh, like you can write yourself into the narrative. And uh, Josh Martino's was an ability to create a character. Right. You know, create a character that I could put what I wanted to express as an artist, but also, you know, some, some uh, extra layers of, you know, uh, accomplishment or, or dopeness or, you know, writing about getting all the girls before you get the girls, right. uh, writing about winning all the fights before you've won any, right. uh, you know, the standard, standard rap fair, um, yeah. you know, rap license. So that was, like I said, I think I, I, because I didn't come from hip hop necessarily, I veered more to the sort of like, uh, poetry, journalism, um, storytelling side, Yeah, you know? And so that was kind of my initial um, gearing was toward the narrative and telling stories and telling stories from as a storyteller does with voices that were not necessarily my own personal, but, you know, being able to speak in different voices as a songwriter, you know? Right. And so I was probably very early, inf early on influenced by narrative hip hop where you basically tell a story from start to finish. You have the, obviously there's a ton of examples, but you know, ghetto boys, mind playing tricks on me or, yeah. or, you know, just songs that move from place to place um, and follow a narrative, right? As opposed to, I'm the dopest, here's why, I'm dope here as well, check this out. You know, and I just, and yeah. The people and around I know you, you guys got that because that was a peanuts and corn trade as well. Yeah, well, and the people, I mean, that was the, you know, one of the big differences is like the underground, where we're all more self-depreciating and, you know, yes. you could do, you could, you could do the comedy self-depreciating thing for the first five minutes and then it gets old. And then you're mm -hmm. looking for something to write about and rap about and the whole thing, right? So, um, yeah. so you put out this tape, and then you're now you're Josh Martinez, and you're starting to work on an album. And so now it seems like your first tape, you know, you hung up, you hooked up with Moves, and just sort of did it real quick. I assume. Mm -hmm. Whereas now you're kind of putting an album together, and I assume Josh Martinez and the Hooded Fang is like your first full album. And so yeah. now you're working with. Talk about working with all the people in the Halifax scene and, and who's on it and all that kind of thing. So Moose is my gateway, but I mean, the, the neat part is actually the segue between Maximum Wellbeing and that Hooded Fang album actually is, is a more interesting story because when I dropped the tape, it was at my college, um, in my college bar because I'd been in college for two years. I was a, on the student council, I worked at the bar. I was able to get us a show at our local college bar. Yeah. Um, I literally took that show the night before I flew to Australia where I was going to be gone for a year on a student work visa. Okay. Um, I released my tape, got drunk with all my buddies, gave a bunch of tapes out, Moves had 25, I had 25. He had a bunch more than I did because I gave them away to everybody and sold some to my college buddies. And then I went away. Um, I lived in Australia for five months, working at a pizza, pizza shop in uh, in on the mall on the waterfront. Yeah. Um, terrible job. Uh, <laughs> just abused in all ways, shape, or form. Lived in a cohabitation with like nine people in a two bedroom. Uh, real grisly. Best time in Australia was when my mom came and visited and took me to the tourist monuments. I couldn't afford to go to myself. Right. Uh, then I flew from there to Thailand, and that's where I sat down for a minute. 
Um, I was there for about four months. Uh, did silent meditation, really dug into Buddhism, uh, was doing retreats. Again, I was broke, so I didn't really have the options to go party or kick it. And the monks at the monasteries allow you to live there and eat with them and stay there for free as long as you help kind of like the monastery run and you teach the monks English, which is really what they liked. Right. Um, so anyway, that's the segue between dropping the tape and then coming back to Halifax almost 10 months later um, with not a lot of contact. Um, when I get back, there's like a funny little bidding war for me. Um, I, apparently while I was gone, the tapes that Moves had 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 gotten around to various people in the scene, Buck 65 and 62 in particular, who both at the time were hyper competitive with each other as producers and both of them wanted to produce my record. Okay. And, but were, uh, you know, at least from my, from my perspective, were weird to me about me working with the other one. So right. I would do a song with 6-2 and Buck 65 would hear of it and then I wouldn't be able to do my song that weekend that we always going to come over and record. Uh, like just weird, just like kind of like local small, small politics as everyone's kind of figuring out their footing in the scene. Um, of course, the Sebutones have come together already and everybody's like huge fans of both of them. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're our most well-known thing. And so as that's going on in Halifax and, you know, Stinkin' Rich, Buck 65, whatever, version of him that he's put out and he's put out a number of them that's very influential to us locally so you start to hear more of the storytelling more of the drum breaks with like really ambient as you know sb 1200 production i think i got three songs with buck on that record on the yeah. hooded thing i've got like three with six two my math might be wrong but there's sort of a collection of six two moves gordski and buck 65 and gordski became sort of the rock of, of Hooded Fang. Um, I met him through Kunga. Um, they had their own group. He also recorded Tachichi, but it was like getting in with Gordo was the easiest way for me to record that because he lived in Halifax and Moves lived in Truro. Right. Um, and, and, and Gordo was, again, like Moves, where he would, he was very, he liked recording dudes. He Well, whether he liked it or not, he liked, having people over and, and having drinks and making music and yeah. he was really really um his place for years was was one of the more recorded places because he just was down to do it yeah um so i came back all of a sudden i had a rep uh people were like you know that shit was really big it like it, it was really exciting we want to we want to work with you and so all of a sudden you know I'm, I'm feeling myself i'm excited people actually give a shit about me yeah um which of course uh, when you do it the first time, you don't think about it. You just do it. You know, you not. And I only did five songs, so it wasn't like a like this long opus. And now I got to do a full length. And like, now I have to think about it. Now I have to like have intention about the music I'm creating, as opposed to just I have these five things and you have five beats. Let's do a thing. Right. Um, it was, and but luckily I had spent better part of four months in Thailand where I was hyper productive in writing and my headspace was very clean and so I just had a swath of you know uh, early 20s uh, esoteric poetry alliteration ideas hippie <laughs> stuff uh, and some of it actually rat rhymed um, and I spent the, the year abroad trying to get better at rhyming as opposed to 
being a good writer because anytime that's just like that's just code for your shitty at rapping like oh right. he's a good writer yeah. uh you know for me it was like i wanted to make sure i was i could you know i could write i could write bars it was a different format than i was writing free so i'd worked on that through the year and hooded fang is a combination of those new relationships that moves had seeded for me and this writing that's like very um free-spirited uh <laughs> high-minded uh there's some songs that are very specific uh, and then there's as you said there's some like you know goofy self-deprecation stuff which is you know a, a, i think over time i think that's a canadian signature for sure yeah um you know it, you just don't see that in american artists they just don't they don't know how to deprecate themselves in in a, in a genuine way yeah uh because they're they do they go they turn it up to 10 and it's just comedy rap or whatever right yes yes exactly exactly there's less subtlety yeah well let's listen to a song i I was you know scanning this album and i had it back in the day but i liked this one just because i like the gordsky beat and i did want to give gordsky his dap because i have a lot of uh love for him as well just even though i only met him i think I, i think i spent 10 minutes with him in the same room but Nonetheless, he's uh, he needs a he shout out. He appears in a at a very high level. That's right. So let's check this out. The song's called "Practical Reasoning." Seek freedom in the matzah bar, soup diving in the Sinai Suez Canal, birth control, earth, the solar console Satellite responsible for seeing For me being closed in, I know no bounds The knowledge and it astounds College props and the students alike A fucking lifelike I see statuettes and awards perpetuating my success On the road of life and I haven't got a wife yet Status symbols aren't important but they might get More critical influence of biblical page mark And as the rage starts, God is just the reason White men are the bastard offspring of apocalypse Now and never we got to sever the ever-growing Cancer, pull the lever, pull the plug while I never, ever have been ever more deadly serious. Medley of delirious thoughts brought on by being curious. I'm impervious to perverted punchlines when I prefer to punch clocks in crunch time. I shine when it's my turn to show the world how my mind burns on a full head of steam. I'm a one man dream team, the cream of the crop rises to the top and I'm on top of my game. Reason is just words strung together to trick those who throw bricks in glass houses and get evicted. I am addicted to doses of active city life like rapid ferocious, like Elvis is the closest to me and pelvis job living. I've been thinking very deeply, but it's been a long day and it ain't easy when I'm sleeping. I am most sincere, but I clearly can't recall holding you up when you fall and I'm small sometimes. Like hard rocks at the shopping mall, I'm cotton genie big and tall and I get ziggy for all yo. Like Juggy loves Archie, even though he feeds for Betty. But on better days, he meets Ronnie and Pop Tates and sets his gaze on a creamy face wash. Skin looking like a million bucks and at the drop of a dime, he chucks in. I'm sorry, Ronnie, for anything I've done in the past and it's all my fault and it won't last a whole chocolate mark before they make amends. But friends are the end is what I'll be for all my bros and pals. The different pros kicked in different styles. I make good on a feeling that I get when I'm delving into the contents of my ceiling. I'm high on life, feeling nicey when I might be kind of pricey to see live. I'm lively, you love me, you really, really love me. Well, a shoe fits, but the gloves be too tight. Keeping time is a cinch, maybe I'm just swinging along. Yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was uh, Practical Reasoning. That's produced by Gordsky. That's Josh Martinez and the Hooded Fang. Um, was that singing a person or was that a sample? Or uh, kind of in that you, netherworld of it could be either. Yeah, it's definitely not anybody of us singing. I think okay. it's got to be a, it's some sort from of Afrahaza uh, throw. You know what I mean? The, yeah. Uh, like some sort of like Middle Eastern uh, yeah. female chanting that uh, Gordsky mixed up. He had a lot of those records. Amazing amounts of those specific kinds of records. Yeah. <laughs> um, did uh, so you make this record? And so what's going on with you? How did this record do? Um, so I was still. How did it finish? I think I finished it while I was still in Halifax and then I moved to Montreal okay. so I could finish my degree okay. and I'd done two and a half years of it before going away for a year to travel and so really I just had to like clean it up so I, I figured I didn't want to be in Halifax anymore been there enough Montreal is kind of like the nearest big city and so I was just like well fucking let's go over here and uh, I had some friends sort of in hip hop and then just mostly other Halifax people um, so I figured I'd go to school and I'd finish the record. And so it took longer than it should have, but I finished it and I put it out and at a Halifax release party, I'm pretty sure. And there was no scene to like, there was no like multiple shows to go crush. There was no local route. It was like playing Halifax and and, and that was it. Uh, I think we did a show in Montreal for like 15 people from Halifax in a bar where Quebecois were angry that we were there. Uh, <laughs> feels about right. Um, and then nothing. Um, and then Napster. Uh, Napster fell in love or I think it was Napster and there was another one uh, started with a K, Kazaa. Okay. It was Can't like remember. two like peer to peer early share all the shit in the world uh, stuff where underground hip hop folks congregated okay. and met each other. Yeah. And so they all, it was like, would have been 98 was when Hooded Fang came out. So 99, maybe mm -hmm. just before 2000. Uh, there was a big San Francisco tech bubble of which we had found some kind of kindred spirits with these nerds who were over in San Francisco doing programming and they were like, we like your stuff. Well, they like Buck 65 and 6'2 stuff is specifically what they like. They like yeah. Sebutones or those guys separately. That's how they got there. Plus 6'2 had his radio show, triplebypass.com, which was broadcasting right. all of our stuff to That's tech right. people in in San Francisco. I forgot about that just as we're talking about That's it. Right. That, that the triple bypass was the gateway to a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's where we started connecting with the 1200 hobos. There started to be, Mr. Dibbs came on board and there started to be conversations between those guys. So Cincinnati, Anacon and Seoul started having conversations uh, in San Francisco. So those are the kind of three places that those guys were making headway. I wasn't doing nothing. Uh, and then was in Montreal, terrible year, hated it 
really cold winter was like, I'm gonna go out west. I got a couple buddies there and Moves is moving out there. So why not? Um, then uh, Napster started blowing up and my music was incorrectly tagged as Buck 65. So people were downloading Buck 65's albums in some, whatever one of his albums. And it was titled Josh Martinez. Produced right. by Buck 65, but it was just Buck 65's record. Right. And that incorrect uh, finding of that as perhaps like another Josh or another Buck 65 ego uh, personality, like one of his many personalities he wrote his album for, yeah. all of a sudden I am getting attention as potentially that. And so people start digging and find my actual music. Um, and so that's when I started getting strange internet traction where. Um, I started thinking maybe I should, um, yeah, take a, take a, take a crack at this music thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause they were, I got invited down to my first show outside of Halifax or Montreal was in San Francisco at a big tech party. Okay. Um, and it was the entirety of the Anticon crew, uh, myself, uh, think I think Atmosphere was there, but I can't remember. It's just strange. But it was like a big tech party that like they shot everything online and it was broadcast. And so it was like kind of this weird coming out. And I was Buck 65 and 62 couldn't get over the border. Oh, really? But I could. Because you're because, American? Because I'm dual citizen. Dual citizen, yeah. I am. I. It has been the gift that has given me this great life that I have. Yeah. Um, the ability to freely move between these two countries as a touring artist coming out of Canada, if you just, the, you know the struggle as well as anybody. Yeah. Canada's almost impossible to tour in strategically over time. You just can't make any money. You can't even break even to do it because every city's so far. Yeah. Yet in America, you can get 10 shows within a four hour drive. Yeah. And the economics just mean if you can get there, and you can play every night as much as possible and stay on people's couches and hustle CDs in the parking lot. You can get place to place and you can develop a name for yourself that you can't do in Canada. Yeah. Um, and it's literally the reason why I've had success was my dual citizenship. It was, it put me in opportunities I would never have had. So you got to play this tech party and you met all mm -hmm. the Anticon guys. I, I remember it being like, at some point, were you signed to Anticon or were you supposed to be on Anticon? I seem to yes. remember meeting you and it being like, it was like you're going to do an album for them or you weren't. I, it was always a little fuzzy. It was fuzzy for me too, because I wasn't <laughs> in control. Uh, it was Soul and Soul came, uh, at some point, Outlook is the song that somebody played for him at some point uh that's off hooded fang i think you're gonna play it I am. I yeah. Think you, yeah it's the one that's the first time that i really sing in a sort of deliberate way in this kind of weird kind of style and it's totally different than anything anybody else has done in this space because everyone else is like using their voice and they're telling very word specific word heavy word play heavy raps trying to rap like people who listen to rap, right? Yeah. Like their idols are rappers. I also shared idols, you know, that were rappers, but I was more melodically inclined. I always listened to more music outside of hip hop than hip hop. Yeah. And so 
Outlook is a song that came out. I don't know exactly how Soul heard it, but he called me on the phone and he was singing it drunkenly entering into my answering machine. <laughs> it's like, I work out, I work with this album out, bro. It's so good. And then uh, he just kind of had a lot on his plate. There was everybody wanted to put the record out at once. He started Anacon almost as like, again, as a vessel to put out his own stuff. Yeah. And then there were so many people whose stuff was coming out around the same time that we all kind of felt partial to it. There was no real record label for indie hip hop. So he was like, I'll be that. Yeah. Um, and being in San Francisco where he had moved, there's a lot of money around. There's a lot of new media around. There was a lot of potential sparks to be able to make things go. It was a good time to be in San Francisco. Um, and so, yeah, he went there and it took nine months or more for him to like go through the priority list of people he'd already committed to. Um, I just kind of was like, there was a, there was a, at one point there was discussion of a, a 12 inch with me on the A side and sleep on the B side. We didn't know each other at the time, but uh, soul like both of us I see. separately. He had come across us. So he was like, you guys should make a record. Ah, I'll just put you on the same vinyl. Uh, it ultimately didn't happen. And there's an amazing Anacon poster uh, that shows their first 12 vinyls. 11 of which released and then mine at the very end <laughs> was not uh the josh Mar josh martinez outlook 12 inch um, oh so they were like it was the, it was they, on a poster i see oh that's it was wild. on a that's distribution wild. poster that was everywhere so i i signed that for years afterwards um <laughs> the anacon thing was very confusing as it was for a lot of people because there was a lot of um there was just a lot of noise about them as a collective and it was very sort of like, you know, it was very white privilege, middle class yes. rappers and, and and who were really pushing the boundaries of rhythmic and tonal uh, presentation in ways that traditional hip hop purists felt not only threatened by, but just didn't like, um, you yeah. know, they're like, I don't like the sound. I don't like it. And a lot of us, I mean, we grew up in hip hop, right? Like I wanted to make a rap, I wanted to make music that people who liked hip hop would like. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't want to make hip hop music for people who like lo-fi indie punk. Like yeah. that wasn't, that wasn't my scene. So why would I want to, you know, like target that? So I guess that's where it became beneficial. The experience of being dragged out through that basically told me what I informed me what I needed to do, which was start a record label. Yeah. Oh. Um, you, you know, if if this guy's telling me he's going to put my record out, but he isn't, I'll just put it out myself. And right at that time, he, uh, Buck 65 and 62 again, were supposed to go on the Anticon Quistadors tour, the first nationwide Anacon tour that was going to go in like for 50 days and play like, you know, 800 to 1500 size venues venues I would have killed for yeah. at any time, let alone on my first tour ever. I wasn't invited to be on it, first of all. Uh, but Buck 65 and 62 couldn't make it. Yeah. They couldn't get over the border. And I was already in San Francisco for the tech party. So I just stayed. And then I jumped on the, on the tour. I said, I'll take no money. I'll just sell my CD. I'll make my own CDs. I'll put low pressure on it. Uh, which was the record label that DJ Moves had. And I was just like, I just wanna, 
I want a vessel. I want a vessel for us and, and our team, right? Something that spoke to our style, aesthetic, and sense of humor more so than it, more so than Anacons. However, you know me well enough to know that I rode that ant as hard as I could sure. for the advantage, right? Like there was, that got a lot of doors. That opened a oh lot of doors. Goodness. A lot of people like Anacon. Absolutely. Well, let's check out the song Outlook because I did pick it for the reason that um, that you said, which is it seemed like the style that you grew into, this is where you first sort of started to develop it and what made you unique. And, and you know, when I listen, well, we can get into it, but when we listen to some people that are doing stuff today, it's like you were doing this, you know, in the early 2000s, right? Am I right yes, or sir. am I right? So let's You're listen, right, brother. You're let, right, brother. Let's listen to Outlook. Something very peculiar happening here. It may be to our advantage, however. What will it take to make me normal? Perhaps a proper outlook and I need to wear tweed form away. I run underneath we're all underwear models. So where's my vibe? Happy when I'm not committed to this notion. Be independent on another person's earth with motion. Dwell next to ocean, most of life spent floating. Feel alive in amongst these dead seas. With every breezes through the trees, I wanna please myself. First and foremost, I'm the host with the least pairs of grease pants and deep stairs in sleep stands. Climbing after dying, can I have this last dance? But just a little kiss for this low life Who misses love but can't resist being rough Right, of course I get chills Yet the sun still thrills me to no end in sight The light shine bright against the canvas of the slightly awkward earth I'm moon rays listening to gaze Upon a monumental wishing well and kiss and tell I'm well past my prime beef stage But at least I've become well aged Made the grade A prime cut But fuck nothing, nothing really gets to me Let's me know in due time I'm due for destiny Found myself listening while I walk To myself I talk in the rounds and harmonize with the sound of my surroundings Alive and feeling grounded I'm striving in my striding Alive and up the mind is cutting Some say maybe golden but Can't hold up to being raised In a holding cell Well, here we go again When alone came the same man day in day out Walking through the streets Voice raised in a shout What's the sense in being normal? Mad, mad indeed And most peculiar what will it take to make me normal? Perhaps a proper outlook and I need to wear tweed for my wear Underneath we're all in newer models What you don't see in magazines, you can see in novels These days I can't write I find inside hard to come by at night Used to find this zone where my own thoughts were cone-shaped But now I'm homesick, the zone is black and walls and cotton candy Back in halls decked with dandy little treats Which I could feast on Gotta let myself go I'm starting to get depressed I'm a great little actor until I get undressed Then I'm surely lacking sort of action Always out of place Need to talk to stop the empty space And when I'm wasted Out of gas Shit facing blind drunk Kind of evasive Wanna show love But everybody's so abrasive Take my daisies Let's leap through this flower garden Poetry's for fairies Who get devoured Start it now and let your heart And you can prove you're smart And not a tartan Wearing Celtic Celtic rock Or Lady Peace For the college jogger I'm honest, so let's fuck. I'll be honest, I'm a truck driving bad out of hell. Swell guy, smell of my own sweat and make music to make you cry. But please don't try to hard to listen, you'll be missing the best part. I'm a mood beat for the moment, a soothing movement of the human heart. Darkening in the blood, bleeding through my new blue parka. Harder than the mud used to mummify this water. I'm a part of something big, but I'm just so goddamn little. I feel like a virus growing in a pool of my own spittle. I dilly dally, a little sally, a little bit of a 
So that was Outlook, and um, so this is where it all gets kind of fuzzy and funky with your albums, because it's like you do an album, and then was this an album? Was this a mixtape? What was it? So, so it this one, Hooded Fang was a finished album. Yes. But what happened for the next album, what became Made in China, was a five-year uh, continuous iteration of a finished good, uh, yes. because I was on tour. Uh, that's why I started touring with Anacon, so I had to put out a record. When I did, I had Hooded Fang and I had this um, Halley 100, I think was the yes. first name of it. Yes, the Halley 100. That's what it was, yes. It was the Halley 100. Um, and it was just specifically so I had something else to sell on tour because I wasn't making any money from the shows. I had to hustle. Um, and then I just, every between every tour, I would redo certain songs that I had played live a bunch and they had changed over the course of playing them live. So I wanted to record them in that different way. And then I started getting in my head, which is a pretty common, uh, you know, musician thing to do, which is like, well, I could just do this better. I could just do this better. I could just right. do this better. And then you just kind of do it over and over again. And then you're just like, I don't know what good is anymore. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it was, as I added songs, as I added guests, because I was traveling, I would make songs with people, and then I would just be like, "Oh, that song's dope! I want to, I want people to hear put, that." Put it on so, the album that I'm currently selling. Put it selling. on the ever-changing album. Uh, Shit, drove you know, me crazy, so, man. There is, there is, there, I didn't always make the most friends with that approach. Uh, <laughs> certainly, there was a number of cases where I redid songs that were in earlier incarnations that people had, they fell in love with. I changed in minor or fundamental ways, but usually just minor. But it was like, what What are you doing? This is my favorite song and you screwed it up. And then they'd be like, why don't you put this old song on? And I was like, I don't have that old song anymore. It's all gone. Like, right. if you had like, because, you know, we there was only so much storage space and, uh, you know, I felt like on a number of occasions my uh, original um, masters got recorded over uh, because there was no space for whoever the next man was in for the studio. Uh, so masters were not something that we were particularly um, good at keeping. Uh, right. And like I said, I just kept changing the album over and over again and putting out the newest version for that tour. And that, that was about four years um, of like, Halley 100, Scribble 100, like wherever I was going, it was something 100. Yeah. Uh, because I made 100 copies of it. That's why it was called the Halley 100. Right. But then I just made more and more copies and, and then <laughs> nothing it was, meant anything. 
and it, did, and it was like a like chaos until I put out Made in China, um, which was yeah, it was many years after starting that album and many iterations after it, and it was like when that finally came out, it was like okay, here's a finished album. I'm not gonna mess with it anymore. Right. And yeah, that it though that started the process of it taking three to five years for me to finish a record. So, at, so you're touring, but you've also moved to BC. Mm-hmm. So, at, or at, in this sort of in the same time frame, you moved to BC. You start a label with Moves, mm-hmm. and so how does that all sort of how does that go? Well, we lived together, so me, Moves, and Rec One got a, a place together. Yeah. Uh, Moves was the most well connected in Canada, even at that point. And the thing that we're forgetting, and I know as soon as I mention this, you'll you'll it'll bring you back to the era. Um, this was in the Steal My Sunshine era, right? Uh, Len w- had a huge hit, and Moves was part of that whole machine. And so he was gone touring internationally, so he was gone a lot. Um, we just basically figured out a way to. Uh, keep the fire going. Uh, me and uh, Rec One. Uh, he was. He did art and design, and uh, I had a credit card. Uh, so <laughs> we just started making, uh, you know, making albums, putting them together by hand. Uh, you know, paper cutter and CD burner, and uh, kept the fires running. And then uh, eventually, um, Moves came back and was on more longer term hiatus and that's when he started producing more stuff that's when we met governor bolts uh john dis all the all the london boys so you know you know for for the audience out there listening uh early independent hip-hop is basically four cities um it's east vancouver it's winnipeg it's london and it's halifax um and each city has their own little mini crew that didn't know each other that over the course of a couple years all kind of met each other seems like in vancouver like yes. it, that was sort of the the centralized area where even if you weren't living there that's where you ran into these guys and we all started getting to know each other and having a record label became more important in that regard because now we actually have there's a growing family yeah. um i really like that part i really like the organization i'd always been into being an organizer of projects i was the president of my student council i was involved in wherever i went i always gotten kind of involved in the organization of putting things together yeah um having credit card helps obviously (laughs) uh you know uh that was the organization that i really brought to the table was i could pay for things um so yeah that was the moves made the music alex did the design and artistic kind of like direction and i kind of put the final pieces together and uh tried to use my own platform as an artist to bring a larger attention to the label. Right. So pretty quickly after the Anacon tour, I just did what I'm supposed to do as an independent artist and I stole everybody's contacts for all the shows as we were playing them. Uh, I played well enough to make a mark. I kept the contact and then, you know, four months later, I booked the tour for me and my guys. Right. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like, um, yeah, trying to leverage the little mini success that I had and, you know, bring more of my 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 friends and family around because it's always more fun when you know when you're touring with people you kind of want to tour with people who are um who are fun to be around right because you're around them 24 7 for an extended period of time so yeah that was 
that was low pressure was my crew um you know everybody there was was super creative and in a very unique time and space where we hung out we made music uh really for the just joy of it there wasn't a huge amount of um structure or this is for my career or any of that stuff and i'm you you came through that house Oh, yeah, that, uh, yeah. That, that's that's what I want to play next is a song which was um, a project you guys did, which was clearly just a bunch of dudes hanging out, being stupid, getting getting drunk and making rap for the love yes. of it, and not for any commercial hope or anything. And <laughs> was, you know, there so was I, no hope commercially anyway. No, <laughs> so I came I came through one night. I'd come in. I'd come and see you guys once in a while. Um, I'd come to you were shows. Calmer than we were. Yeah, you were more, well, I've always more... been. I'm not a partier. I've never been a partier, right? So mm-hmm. when I'd come over there, I'd usually there'd be a reason, and I would do the reason, and then I would leave because it's just yeah, like, you know. That but you're, I, you're, I was, you're functional with it. Yeah, I would meet everybody, yeah. and it was really good to meet, like you know, meeting Governor Bolts, meeting, uh, you know, all the people coming through. But. Um, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I wasn't going to be there every night hanging out, and I wasn't, it wasn't your be, natural. Your no. Natural environment. Um, but we appreciated your company, obviously. <laughs> so one night, one night I come over and there, and you guys are working on this five-headed artard, and uh, so this is this is kind of an odd song because it's all about shit, I guess. And um, and, and the funny thing if is, it's about anything. Not to be about me, but I've only been on I think two songs. I've only been on two songs that I didn't produce, and this is one of them. <laughs> so and you killed this one. Yeah, so let's listen to this, or at least as much as we can stomach. Uh, this is called this is called crap rap or sal de bang or something like that. This is uh, the five headed artard, which is you, uh, bolts, um, kaboom, moves, moves is rapping. Uh, Tim's Rec rapping. Raps on it. I don't uh, think he raps on this one though. But um, John Diss, John I think, Diss. is on this one. Yes, and uh, uh, yeah, let's check this out. This is funny shit. <laughs> Quit fucking around, Tim. Ain't your shit, you fucking bastard. They, they, they took care of each other the best they knew how, and of each other's children, if they had any. How they lived in the world. Me and the Hasidic Turk once saw a guy shit on a fire hydrant. Man, that was fucking sick. Sick as in sick, not sick as in slick. Bare ass on herd medley looked like the devil with a red cape on and thorns on his head. In the middle of Toronto, then he got in his Bronco without wiping his ass. It must have stunk like shit. I pity the hooker who sucks his dick or did suck a slob's shit stinking ball sack with wooden bats and a Digimon backpack. Catch a bitch slap, you bitchy ass biatch. Make you cry like Millie after the suicide of Vanilli. Skedaddle, you silly. You battle me? Really? You limp willies. Wanna fuck with a pimp? Kill a simple salmon, bust him like a hamon, tell him quit rhyming. Suck my shit dispenser, hot curl with a tensile bandage bondage. You don't want it? Do your laundry. Blood stain, dope like cocaine till your nose blows pains. Clouds blow rain like your girl does two jocks. At a keg party with two cocks, cream cheese in arrear. 69 and with my knees in arrears. I kickbox with thick socks and Chris Rock. Heather Swank and leather pants, we boys make kids cry in hip hop. Lids fly, transvestite, witch lock, tick lice, miss jocks. You wear Liberace's varsity jacket and I don't fracture top. Seven dome, or other ways of saying you're a crackhead. But I don't wanna call you that, instead I'll call you whack. I lied to you yesterday for the shit you did tomorrow. 
is your sorrow With cockiness you borrow from Prince Nassim You think you deserve oxygen? Wrong again, I planned an accurate shrapnel Name backwards is move back and it's actual Peace to the gods, you blasphemous asshole Ship puke, I'm looking at all of you And which one of you shit that puke that I'm smelling I'm not telling a voice that I'm expelling It's telling me to be a little less compelling Every time I'm expelling you from my class Cause I smell what you did in your pants You shit puke, and let me tell you that I'm looking right at you knowing and I'm smelling And I know what that smell is and I know that it was expelling Right from your trousers and listen as I get a little bit louder to those who shit puke The only road out of Babylon is long Plus the devil is strong, the devil got bitches And the devil got powders and the devil got riches And the devil is louder than voices says don't but not as loud as the liar inside that said that he didn't and won't again somehow if I could explain so you understood it I possibly couldn't again from the experience and all that I retained was the lesson of love I've learned over and over again is don't trust no one that smells like they shit puke as shows get hyped at the end take off my clothes if my style was any fraction you'd be bumping me up your nose with both eyes closed I roll my head back and laugh Ha 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 ha, I took a crap in your back Now you're floating face first and shit bursting from the anus Like a wig wearing pig rolling and shit You shameless, girlfriend you heinous Like a horse doing the nasty with a baby giraffe White and lenses to be classy We demanded five heads to be dirty biz done We put the fun back in funeral like a Tommy gun We won't fill a page with filler the thriller In Manila is now a death match Featuring me versus Godzilla And I'm coming toxic when I rock a beat a box To feed a fox to lead a duck to Water to lead an elitist, fuck the slaughter Get cryptic to rip it like boogers, you pick it When push comes to shove, why don't you take your love and stick it Who needs you to be true to who you once knew Up you in the two sugar clothes and rule you to dudes You not newbie and I'm not stick with a long dick and a shaft and stick I'm more north than Peter, flick my tongue like an anteater Read a book and blow me, you know me Ready the reader, the heavy breather Letting the gimp out as a teaser Fuck the dogs, let the chimps out Let the chimps out because monkeying around is what I'm all about It's the manic rapid bandit who've been banned from rapid transit Got my bus passed for vote when the bus driver choked on the joke Gum ho-hum, another month of punishment I'm running shit at the group home Rocking two-tone sweats due to stains from my various endeavors With my roommates, neighbors, and all the mall regulars I'm holding court at the food court Rocking Motley Crue, banana rama too short Don't care who I'm talking to I'm the man and you're wishing that you could attend Any sporting event without ever paying admission I tie my shoes with Velcro and say hell no to the cafeteria staff when they try to service Alpo. Eat the bohole, anti up then subsequently fold. Illuminescent, huge bowl. Why you stressing, girl, on all fours? Then crawl. I cannot feel my eyeballs. A five-headed legend, demise to all wise guys. I apologize. It was simply too easy. Instead, let's play Risk Life Operation, the 86 sensation. Or maybe we can play Parcheesy Irrelevant. Resent getting bent with old Rusty on the sea bus they had sent me upon. Head bump along, or readily drop on down to the five headed hip hop a thong. I type of strange shit they got me on. Oh, shut the
classic? Is that a classic? Uh, it was made in a time that arguably an era that was classic. Perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps the accomplishment on that particular track less classic. Uh, but to me, that's that's a wow. That's a that's a classic. Uh, that's a classic footprint in the uh, yeah. Five Headed Artard uh, catalog. Uh, that is a that is a beautiful work of art, uh, if nothing else. That was a fun night. I remember that. <laughs> recording that and being we, around we and thank just you laughing. For coming and, uh, yeah, spending time with us. And that house was was just just a mayhem house. It was filthy, fucking filthy. Well, you recorded in the bathroom, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So you record in in the moves, master bedroom toilet. Yeah. Which was moves his bedroom, also his recording studio, also arguably like the smokiest place on earth yeah uh like he just chain smoked inside while leaning on a like on a wall um <laughs> it, you just you lived it or you couldn't live it but yeah. one way or the other yeah things got done <laughs> <laughs> so um at this time you to, to bring it back to my label Prince of corn mm-hmm. you and i also started to work together and um you started to meet my friends and we started to do some songs together as well and i don't want to go too much into it to that um, because there's so much of your career that i want to talk about and i find interesting but just for fun because i've been holding this is one of the hit songs of peanuts and corn records and i've been holding it back for all these episodes hoping that you'd come and do the show so i have to play it and also because you bite my style from that last song for this song so, so, so I so want to get my credit. I want to get my due because uh, no one heard the crap rap, and and everybody heard the I'm rollerblading shit. <laughs> so um, time to get your vengeance, my that's friend. That's right. So John Smith was working on an album, and for the most part, he was all about uh, a loose concept of of motion or traveling or something. And then uh-huh. he had this song for like a, a joke song, and I made this kind of synthy beat. Um, and he's like, I'm doing a song about rollerblading. Can you get can you get Josh Martinez on it? And I'm like, oh, see, and so you were down, which was cool. So Always. I don't know. If they, <laughs> I don't know if you have anything to say about this, or we just play it. But you probably haven't heard uh, it in well, a while. <laughs> I caught I caught a lot of shit for this over the years um, from genuine rollerblading enthusiasts <laughs> who had heard the song and loved my catalog. And there was just this one song. They couldn't figure out why I was so mad at rollerbladers or why I was making fun of them. And I was just like, it was a song, it was a concept. I love John Smith. Of course, I'm gonna like, it was a cool concept. And we, that was kind of what we did. We just made concepts for fun. And um, I also, as a full confession, actively rollerbladed uh, <laughs> for years. Yeah. Um, not in the fruit boots. I was always in the, I was in the hockey skates right. with the wheels. Yeah, uh, I'm a hockey guy. Hockey yeah, guy. Yeah, come on. Uh, yeah, come on. Not rollerblade. Not the not the the, the break the front the front foot break. Uh, <laughs> all the other goofy stuff. But yeah, it was a pleasure to get on this, and I did for years hear a number of people just being very upset by my approach to uh, rollerblading. So it's clear I love rollerblading too. But if you can make fun of something, make fun of it. That's the joy and. That's the joy in what we get to do. That's right. I just made the beat. I don't have any position on rollerblading. I've never tried it, but I'm sure it's fine. But I ain't hating and I ain't loving, but I made the beat. And uh, this is the song. It's called I'm Rollerblading. Uh, This is John Smith featuring Josh Martinez and the one and only Pip Skid. Yo, honey, 
25. My pro over there is the baddest skater there is. So, why don't you rush me them digits in a... Maybe, just maybe he'll give you a call. Scratching my hairless legs and rip open the curtains Discover an azure sky and birds in the birch turpin Well, the rock Best I can, the shower's like being peed on Don't know what I'll wear today, but you can bet that it's neon Most degree Shorts to match my blades lining Deer hunt or T-shirt to match my blades bindings I'll wear my roots Hat backwards to top it all off Well aware That some of these cool guys scoff They call them fruit boots But can't wreck my fun time There's wheels need My shoes, I'm walking on sunshine Back up My shirt reads he's rad for all of those hating Cinch your straps Of my knee pads and now I'm rollerblading I'm rollerblading I'm rollerblading Cinch your straps of my knee pads and now I'm rollerblading T-shirt reads he's rad for all of those hating Cinch your straps of my knee pads and now I'm rollerblading I'm rollerblading I'm rollerblading Cinch your straps of my knee pads and now I'm rollerblading T-shirt reads he's rad for all of those hating Cinch your straps of my knee pads and now I'm rollerblading Nice boots buttercup Wow Skateboarder, all retro and passe and urban extreme sushi, olive eaten, rock a two martini lunch to get the heart beaten. The gourmet chef, middle class, Cosmo reading, super dad, knee pad, and FM radio walkman on rocking. Not afraid to show your feminine side when gliding. Look, it's little Nancy Kerrigan. You live a life of thrills, always riding on the edge. I love seeing you do those little jumps off the curb, extremely urban. You were serving it up, really working up a sweat. Don't forget, it's great exercise like Tybo. Okay, little girls, you're not hockey players. You look like roller hose with knee pads and jack straps to, to the, the extreme. extreme. You rock your boots like a cowboy. Wow, boy, you got it going on. Knowing all along, your zitty ass is showing underneath your neon thong. Bikini, but don't get me wrong. I love the fruit boot, banana ram, a scoop, hair a gold hoop. Wearing spandex with that camel toe showing, sowing seeds you didn't need to. And here I am giving you props. Sorry, I didn't mean to. And seen through the lies, you probably be embarrassed to know that rollerblading is the favorite sport of your parents. Now we're giving you one chance to undo those fruity laces before we lay the boots to you and what's left of your good graces. He's a real searcher. What's he searching for? Sports, the old guy that does the worm. Funky, fresh, dressed to impress. Skate by the party. Get hot from rollerblades and arcades. It keeps me hearty. I wasn't always as cool. A virgin went bald in grade nine. Had issues, now I'm pushy like the cops. Keep you in line. I'm feeling fine. This is my love. Been down since day one. Like when your whole whack family would hit the streets like chicken run. Fanny pack weighs a ton. Leather gloves, blue Gatorade. Gruff and I clung it down the bike path and rollerblades. Skate circles around Gorski. I never heard the word fall. Cutting in and out of shoppers like mass murder with the I'm all that and then some Getting plenty of double takes Cause my fruity boots Look like a pair of hockey skates Wrist weights to exercise In my zany crusade Knee pads cost an arm and a leg They're custom made Fiberglass reinforced My earbuds inject the hip Can't throw me off course Functional fashion I stay dip Cover my zits With a billabong long sleeve on my back And if you ever see me in shoes It's cause I'm playing hacky sack I'm rollerblading I'm Chew gum like my jaw is loose I'm rollerblading DC talk Shirt, cause God is waiting. One rat bulldog with shades on, man. I'm rollerblading. Uh, I'm rollerblading. <laughs>
matching strap, helmet lost, suck. I'm rollerblading. T-shirt reads, God rules to battle off Satan. One rat bulldog with shades on, man. I'm rollerblading. That's Unrollerblading. It's dope. it's dope. Featuring so Josh dope. Martinez and Pipskid. Crazy song that everyone, rollerbladers have hated on for years. You took some <laughs> shit. Joe took some shit. Pips took some shit from angry uh, CDR burning uh, <laughs> disgruntled would-be fans. <laughs> yes. Wait, I, those actually, generally speaking, for Pip was like uh, uh, his target audience to punk. <laughs> yeah. uh, he enjoyed he enjoyed that that fan the most the the very serious fan who had a problem with him uh making fun of their rollerblading love uh that would have been food for pip in a very tasty way <laughs> um so i want to move to where well i mean the next song i want to play is with awol one so Ooh, i kind of want to get into what you're what's going on here so basically this whole time you're you've been living in east van but you're you're in and out a lot if i recall you're touring a yeah. lot yeah it was it was really busy and i would try to bring my crew on tour but it was again just logistically challenging to do often and turns out as a guy who has two passports and is just one guy and can play a show with a cdr uh like in a well on a walkman at any location I'm an easy act to book because I can just go whenever I want to go and get wherever I need to get to. So I was on tour a lot in ways that wouldn't have benefited most other people. Um, you know, I was, I would go down to like fly to Orlando and then play like two weeks worth of shows in the Southeast, you know, including like nine people in Jacksonville on a Tuesday. Right. Um, you know, like that's not a really like enticing offer, but for me, that was like the bread and butter. If I got to meet people, I got to play shows. I could leverage that for future opportunities. And again, I was always of the mindset, and I think you guys shared this, which is, you know, you build it one fan at a time, right? Yeah. Like it's not, you don't get it. You're not gonna get a, you know, a Saturday Night Live gig, right? You're not gonna get a big massive media gig that's like gonna suddenly expose you to the public. So you just gotta win people over one show at a time, one interaction at a time, one good guy at a time, right? And my whole thing was to be a good guy. Uh, you know, respectful and easy to work with and, you know, funny enough at, at my job that you would have me back. Uh, and so, yeah, I was gone nine months of 12, generally speaking, for the first three, The after the first year in Vancouver, when I was just kind of settling in and making friends, the next three years I was gone. Uh, I still lived at, the, at that same house, but I was in and out all the time. Yeah, and so, I mean, I seem to recall that there weren't very many tours that you're actually with Moves, for example, because he wouldn't be going to the U.S. and touring with you. So it who, was who easiest was with for me you? just to go. Yeah. Um, and it would have been, yeah, I still don't have any management. I still don't have any local support. It's still mostly California and I'm living in Vancouver, yeah. right? Like California and then like, you know, Chicago had a scene where you could do Chicago, Madison, 
uh, Minneapolis, go over see Slug and you know at the at Seventh Ave and um, you know do Cincinnati at Mr. Dibb's spot there and like there was little routes but they weren't anything that like it wasn't an easy gig. Yeah. I mean I I had a backpack full of uh, merchandise and I would get in cars and buses and fly short flights and whatever I had to do to get to and to and from. So it was like pretty bare bones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was, it was mostly me because anytime I went to the States, that was obviously the easiest way to do it unless it was a longer run with money, which that wasn't really usually the case. And, uh, so you're also have a label that a real label, like low pressure is a real label and you have, I know I distributed your stuff. You had distribution in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So your partners at this time were Moves and Rec. Uh-huh. And then at some point, it, that evolves to Camo Bear. Yeah, it's kind of around this time. So, yeah, I was gone a lot. Those guys were, you know, were recording more stuff. They were more there. I think, like you, I'm not always in party mode um you know so to me the living environment was a little more uh hectic than i was than i you know i like to go there to be a part of it but i also like to go home and have my own space yeah um the party was always there it never kind of left but i also wasn't there often so it was kind of like this double-edged sword of like well what am i doing you know i, I don't have a better option to store my stuff anywhere yeah. um you know so it it became it was a natural evolution of me just kind of growing apart a bit from from those guys they grew closer uh in my absence and i kind of felt like um i just kind of felt a little bit like i was um i was missing something um you know i wasn't as excited about partying i wanted to write more music get kind of involved with other you know it was it was just like a natural growth that happens with artists and i you know i was just kind of by being gone so much i started kind of in my absence, a rift started growing. And it right. wasn't a personal rift, it was just a business rift. It was just like, you know, they wanted the record label to put out more stuff more frequently. You know, I was trying to push, you know, myself and Governor Bolts and moves this stuff. But I think, again, as everybody, when there's not enough food to go around and, you know, everybody is trying to figure out how to eat, it was pretty easy to see my position traveling as potentially taking advantage of the label more so than they were getting from it. Right. Um, so it just seemed, and I think you remember this from the whole part, it was just like, well, there's no reason why that can't exist. To, like, Low Pressure was Moose's label from the beginning. It was his brand, it was his friends, it was his music. So Low Pressure was just whatever Moves made. And since we made everything there and Moves made everything we made, it was a natural space. But as I traveled, I started meeting other artists, other producers. I started working with, uh, you know, uh, Maker out of Chicago and Jell from Anacon and, 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 you know, I was everywhere. So it was like I could, I wasn't tied to just one sound. So I started working with more producers, making more kinds of music. And, you know, the low pressure aesthetic was very rap, you know, rap comedy and, you know, and, and drink it. And where i was going was more you know i was i was looking for a different sonic sound i was writing differently i was singing more i wasn't as hard as those guys were it was very clear that the music that i was making had a different aesthetic and a different audience and they weren't always the biggest fans of some of those moves and you know i i i too sometimes look back at some of those and been like that's pretty cringy however it was the natural direction for me to 
I guess just focus more on my own career and yeah. building an opportunity for myself, which that was like starting Camel Bear was more just uh, a decision to give me a home and possibly to put out other people's stuff, but that wasn't really a consideration at first. Right. Um, it was more just like, so I had a house, I started looking at factor grants at that time and trying to start getting into the system and to have a record label seemed to be beneficial from the factor point of view, because if you're successful as an artist, you could leverage your success as an artist onto the business. The business could then get other opportunities for other artists. Yeah. So that's when I, I started going into the factor system and I started I started Camel Bear with, uh, with Miles, the attorney, and uh, Cass Elliott, uh, Mr. Shoulders. Yeah. Um, and two of my best friends um, with a you know direction more towards serious political social justice type stuff but then also still with my same style of self-deprecation jokes and singing yeah <laughs> um, so just to circle back I do want to ask about to play this AWOL one track about how he got pulled into working with you and moves we, uh, as always, um, he came to our house. He yeah. was touring. He came for uh, a show in town with uh, with Soul and maybe Pedestrian and AWOL. They had just started hanging out because they were also weirdos, the other weirdos in, in Southern California with the weirdos in Northern California. Yeah. Shapeshifters meets uh, uh, Anacon. Yeah. Um, and so they had come up for a show with Fourth World Occupants in New Westminster. Okay. Uh, it was- Weird Bill. A, a real weird Bill. Um, Soul had been talking lots of shit for a while up till then online and otherwise, and everybody there was kind of aware of it. Uh, Fourth World was very hip hop. The, you know, the guys, uh, and they were young and had a huge following. Yeah. So it was gonna be their show and we were basically the undercard. Um, I had a really good show. Awol had a good show. Soul got on and just like ended up yelling at the crowd. I think uh, <laughs> it was weird. Um, they all yelled "Fourth World" uh, the entire show. <laughs> oh man, it was it was pretty funny. Um, but we basically uh, we basically those guys didn't drink and Awol did, so we brought him back to the house so we could you know celebrate this awful show. Um, and literally within oh I don't know. Uh, like an hour of being there, he had started seeing, Moose had brought him into the room and he had just pulled out this notebook of like weird two lines here and then he would jump four pages and those four lines there and he'd jump back. It was very, um, he just started saying shit and he has such a great voice. Yeah, he does. That whatever he said was just the dopest. And in like 30 minutes, he had laid down his part and had just said, women loving women, women loving women. <laughs> because just before we got to the house, two lesbians had made out in front of him on the SkyTrain. Um, <laughs> so it was- He was inspired. He was inspired by the local events, the local <laughs> culture. Um, so it was pretty organic. Like Moves just put him in the, the studio. He just started busting some stuff out and that was it. Then he left the next day. I don't think I laid something down till like, like a month later. As okay. soon as I heard it, I was like, moves, I want that. I, like, I need to get AWOL. I need to be on a track with AWOL. AWOL had a name, AWOL had this nice sound. And I was like, yeah, I was definitely wanting, I heard it, I was like, I want that. And so I spent probably a month trying to write a song that would mimic his style. 
um, and mimic his delivery and try to like kind of topically roll with him because again I'm I had his he had already laid his stuff down so it was just like yeah okay the song is already made I just have to add my part and make it synchronous um, so that was it like I didn't know AWOL all that well but that song became this funny weird hit as you're talking about like rollerblading or something it's like yeah. it circulated around for both of us we both kept coming on to people who really liked it and then the thing that we did probably the most, because we started touring together because of it. it yeah. Like the song took off and so it was like, well, if I can tour with anyone, I'll tour with AWOL. It's one guy. He can hold down an hour long set, super nice guy to travel with, et cetera. Perfect fit, has a draw. Um, so we started touring together and then we would play that song and we developed a dance to it. And that arguably was like the highlight of the night. Oh shit. Um, that we would do this, these, this coordinated dance moves at the end of the song. <laughs> Um, and again, he's just a guy who's got a good sense of humor and he was able to be playful and that was kind of my vibe. And so I think he, we got along really well on that side. Well, let's I think check his it out. crew is, yeah, let's put, send us the tape. This is Women Loving Women. This is produced by Moves. It's Josh Martinez and AWOL One. We're going to put this one down for Josh Martinez, DJ Moves. This song is gonna be about women. It's about women, women loving women. women. It's about pretty much, you know, everything. I got one life to live and I'll never remember. I got one dance to chance and I'm exceeding my limit. Is this song my ear loves to hear? Is this last dance it could last a whole year? Stepping on my toes and they feet on my shows. Dancing with the man eater woman. Dancing with the man eater woman. Another smoked out weird Another lives with his mom and has a bushman beard I'm falling over 
Knowing I'm not sober, thinking at it all ages Yo, I'm overaging, under drinking I'm all into my mall, I was big when you were small I'm wearing gang clothing, colored Nova Scotia fall I know girls whose pearly whites might get them laid I know other girls who won't allow themselves to be played I love strong women, all women, lovely women, loving women Wish I could be a real man like some women Look like friends, others pretend to be men Some score a perfect ten, others never ever let the love end I just wanna run my mouth until I run out of tongue ties I'm over Sundays, some days it doesn't pay to wake up But I'm up a lot these days like doing songs where they walrus A wild turkey and a DJ moves like dancing on the street I'm in my bare feet Taking my time, loving my last dance It's like dancing on the street I've never seen AWOL 1 play, but it'd be interesting to see because, um, you know, like you were saying that he kind of just tied a bunch of random lines together and it sounds like it. And it'd be hard to live with that as a song that you had to play live a whole bunch of times if it was all randomly, you know. But it was sort of his composition process. It was very kind of like stream of thought. And then he would write like these streams of thoughts in all these different places. And he would just kind of compose a song by rolling between various streams of thought and if you know that it makes sense but if you don't it's just like the fact that he composes this way and the music comes out as it does is super interesting yeah um on his own stuff there's more intention but i think you know sometimes on his on his guests he can just kind of he's just got such a cool voice and a cool tone and a cool swagger that it's like whatever he says just has this nice yeah. you know this nice vibe and it fits wherever it wherever it ends up it's it's a really really nice tone yeah. like uh and his real name's tony so he was always tony tony tone to me right. uh he's uh and one of the nicest guys of all time like just i was really fortunate to have um gotten down with really nice people in a lot of cases where it was just like you know they they made things possible in a lot of different ways just by being nice and they connected me to various people that helped move my mine and the label's career forward i was very fortunate that way well i mean i think it's like you know you would know even more than i was having been to way more places and met more people but it was like in this weird underground thing is like people weren't in it for the wrong reasons for the most part and if they were they didn't last long so much to do if you were in this first like financial exactly, success. Like you were gonna, yeah, exactly. Like you're gonna <laughs> rip somebody off for you know fifty bucks a night or whatever. Like there's just no, it's 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 a it was like you loved it or else you weren't in it at all. Like there's no... <laughs> you loved it until you had to go get a real job. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, you know, I think you and I probably in a lot of cases mirrored that experience where. Uh, we had to kind of create an entire ecosystem in order to try to monetize what it is we did for us and our friends. And it really doesn't work. It's very, the math was hard from the beginning because it's, the the numbers are so small, but they're also, it's just a challenging administrative enterprise to run, to to like try to figure out how to monetize music that your friends make, right? Like it's all well and good to make tapes in your basement and play, play them for the buddies when you're drunk. But if you want to have this, 
go places. Someone's got to organize it. Someone's got to sacrifice kind of time and energy and then often money uh, to get it off the ground. Yeah. Right. And it's and then you need hustles on the side just to make sure those those ends can meet. And, uh, you know, mine was factor. Uh, yours was that you're actually skilled as a musician. So those are, those are different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never really messed with the factor. We didn't never got a fact any uh, grant money, but we can get into that. But I do want to give you um, respect for, you know, taking those contacts and helping me out. You got me shows on the West Coast of the U.S. and played some weird, some good shows and some weird shows with you. Um Mostly, mm-hmm. mostly like the good ones were ones you're involved with, and the weird ones were ones that I've got on my own. But uh, <laughs> I was able to do some some fun stuff thanks to partly and thanks to you. Well, um, of course, that's I, what we were. We were very uh, from the beginning. I always I always thought I really dug what you were doing. I I saw a peer in what you were doing. You were definitely more organized and more um, business like in your approach, and I think that was always a big influence for for me personally in trying to mimic what you were organizing and how you did it. Yeah. You guys didn't have as much reach physically because you weren't traveling as far from home, but your music was pretty well everywhere I was physically at. Right. Anywhere I went, people were like, oh man, do you have you ever heard of the Peanuts and Corn guys? They're the best. Yes, yes, I've heard of them. They're <laughs> awesome. They're awesome. Well, let's play Talk this. Let's play this song that uh, we did together. Um, which was I was doing a compilation so this is stepping back a bit but this song did show up on a number of your different tour versions as well uh, this the is the final well made in China hey yeah so this song's called Rainy Day and so this sort of highlights um, you know all I did on this one was make a beat and you came in and recorded at my place and mm. um, definitely we're seeing what you're you know trying to do creatively that that wouldn't be um was definitely different like I think doing this session and then listening to it after it was like huh this is not what anybody else I'm working with is doing so you're definitely getting your own style here and again this is probably 2000 2001 so this is energy crisis that early? Uh, yeah because it came out in 2001 in September 2001 so we would have recorded probably earlier that year yeah. Okay. Okay. That 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 does make sense on the timeline. Okay. But then, but then it showed up on your releases for years. After. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I gotta ride that. I gotta ride ride that success till exactly. the pony's dead. Um. So let's check this out. This is called Rainy Day. Get up. I woke up this morning and realized there is no job I'd ever want to spend my whole life doing. Cause I don't have the patience I've been thinking as I age No gray, only 23 years old But already I've become someone I once told myself I would never be Not to be a me is such a bad thing It just sucks to go from all shucks To show enough and then find out That rhyming as I know it isn't what it's all about I can't finish anything I start out break hearts and grow flowers On the window still, still I feel like There's nothing lifelike in these hands Now I have to lie, crying foul Someone but I get another try, can I buy a vowel? Oh my, my god, I'm sick of sob stories Everybody envies any life but their own Nobody thinks to stop hoping Get open, spend some time alone, I gotta read a book I need to wear more sweaters I'm glad I cut my hair, I'm glad I stopped wearing underwear I'm better off each day, less sun shines through my curtain I'm certain it shouldn't hurt to get up, but it does I love the buzz I get forgetting every day I've wasted I remember kissing, but can't remember how kissing tasted I faced my fears with fears and got wasted So I suckle on the booty bottle, my brain throttled It buckled under the weight of my 
a slumber state I'm way too involved to appreciate I'm too involved to deviate All alone in my room, the booze I reek of I'm asleep at the wheel with no windshield to speak of And it's just another rainy day It's just another rainy day Day that came out in 2001 originally on um, Factory Seconds and then came out again on Buck Up Princess. And uh, I played the Buck Up Princess version, which had more from Ghost World. I gotta, yes. I gotta rewatch Ghost World. Yeah, my my specialty around that time, and you can hear it literally uh, from Made in China into Buck Up Princess into Midriff, and also it shows up on When Pigs Fly and Swine Flu or Swine Country. Um, I was the final producer before it went to manufacturing and so i would always try to string together this narrative from a bunch of random songs yeah. by d- 
doing the sample game. Um, so all those layered samples, I got better at it over time. I was using uh, Acid, uh, mm-hmm. not the drug, but the software. Yeah. Uh, and it was, yeah, there's just an endless amount of ADD layering of uh, samples to bridge songs. So at the end of any song, there's always like 11, 20, you know, 11 to 20 seconds of just random stuff that um, theoretically binds it to the next song, but right. mostly just means that you have this big chunk at the very end of the song that's <laughs> irrelevant. Right. Ta-da! You're welcome. <laughs> so you start Camel Bear Records with, uh, with Cass and Miles, and... Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to get into is, uh, you know, you talked about crossing the border and playing these shows by yourself, but at some point you get a buddy. You get a buddy and he, uh, you introduce him to us and everybody, but you meet Sleep. Can you talk about meeting Sleep and um, starting to work with him and him being a good fit for you and what you want to be doing in the U.S. and all that kind of stuff? You got it, my friend. Yeah, so I met him at the first South by Southwest, South by Southwest that I went to which was 2001, mm-hmm. um, so right around this time. Um, he had long hair like a metal performer. Uh, <laughs> he was a short little uh, ball of fire. Uh, we were on a showcase together, an indie hip hop showcase that also included Tumex, Atmosphere, I think Astronautilus, it, like just like a blur of, of folks from, from that era in, at various phases of their career. He was so fucking good. Like he got up on stage and he was like, right before he's like showing me pictures of his daughter. He's like, Soul told me about you. You're like, you're such, like he said, you're like, you're a cool guy. And like, we should hang out. And here's my daughter. And and then he like walks up on stage and he's like, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Okay, little feller. You're really, really good. And really, really, really intense as a performer. Like it was like instantly the whole, like if people are talking, they're not talking anymore. They're all looking at this little guy spitting fire. Um, So he was a force. And so um, we right away kind of connected because both of us were trying to bubble as solo artists, but trying to figure out like we came from a crew, but we were sort of exceeding our crew's locality. We were starting to have traction elsewhere. And Um, And his crew was Old Dominion? His crew is Old Dominion, yeah. So there was like, out of that crew, there was like 30 guys and girls uh, who rapped and produced. And like, there's a whole infrastructure of very amazing talent of which they, you know, even to this day, there's still people putting stuff out. But he was very recognizable right away. Like yeah. his flow, his style, um, and his songwriting. You know, he was he was writing really intricate compositions with really interesting stuff in it. And... <clears throat> He was still flowing his ass off, but he was influenced by his family's musical background. His whole family and grandparents all were like, you know, professional touring musicians who played band, who played mariachi, who played uh, with Tito Puente, like jazz throughout the Southwest. Like it's a musical family. So he didn't come into his musicality accidentally, Um, but he was rapping his ass off in a structure, but he had this other side to him, this other, you know, composition framework that was really advanced for the people that I was meeting and so I was excited I was like you seem like somebody who's doing really interesting things and I'd like to do that as well and I think within like three months of being there we've been emailing back and forth he was like I booked you a show in Portland come down and so I 
I got in a Greyhound, I went down to Portland. Um, I played a show with him and again, maybe 30 or 40 people, all friends, uh, like all of his friends um, yeah. and local in, in, enthusiasts. Um, and we basically did the set by, I would play solo, then he would play solo, and then that was it. We went back to his house and we decided we needed a song to work at the end of the set together. That was a genuine, you know, a, a genuine way to do an encore, so to speak, was like, you know, do a posse cut. Yeah. Um, so we wrote Opposite Affair, that very first visit, which was our first song. Um, and it was this sort of layered complex song of six people who meet each other uh, across the course of the day. And, uh, you know, some have good luck, some have bad luck. And at the end of the day, you know, sometimes bad things happen and it's just the opposite affair. Um, and so that was our first song. We put it on uh, myspace.com. Oh uh, yeah, nice, to, nice. To put, it, to put this all into perspective, uh, put it on myspace.com. And then um, it it did really well right away. It, there was, so it got shared, some backend infrastructure worked really well for it and it got a lot of views. Um, so, because he was like me, he had a little buzz, he had his own solo set, he was one guy, so yeah. we could tour as essentially, uh, he was a solo act, I was a solo act, we had a DJ, and then we would play 15 minutes together of like, he would mostly freestyle, I would say writtens, and then we do Opposite Affair. Right. Um, so we started touring together, and every time a tour ended, we would have three or four new songs that we would either have recorded at friends' houses along the way, which was another common way to get material done, is to, we had a friend in Arizona, a friend in Chicago, places where you could just basically stop if you had a night off and just record at your buddy's house um, and do some cool shit. Yeah. Uh, so that's, it was just kind of organic where it was just like, he was, he had a, he was an act, I was an act, and we could kind of roll together and be able to command, you know, enough to make it worth it, um, you know, getting place to place. And he was like me, he was just kind of like, he was down. He was down to go kill it every night, uh, no matter what the circumstances, five people or 5,000 people, you give your whole energy to that crowd without even question. Yeah. Um, so, and, and again, killer live performers. That was another thing too, which was like, I just wanted to perform with people who really wanted to like blow a crowd away and, and put on an experience. And he was an experience in and of himself. And when we got together and started playing songs together, there was a vibe that he made me better at rap and I gave him more freedom to sing and be silly. Because right. his material before that was much more serious and much more dark. Um, whereas I was just like, hey, let's like, let's make a silly song. Let's make a song, you know, like a do-up song about, you know, telling people to go fuck themselves or, uh, you know, any number of things that we chose to go down, he wouldn't have felt the same comfort in his crew with that kind of material. Yeah. And I think, that's what made the Chicharron special was that, first of all, he was a great composer and understood how to write songs, come up with the reasons why a hook makes sense, etc. I could sing some of the more challenging parts, um, but he always just had an intrinsic songwriting understanding, was really helpful in the studio for someone like myself who's very indecisive. It's like, I can't, I can't, I, I could do it better, I could do it better, I could do right. it better. And he's like, no, no stop that, do this, do this, and then, hey, engineer, cut that, and here we go, we're good. And I was like, oh yeah, we're good. Oh. Um, <laughs> so that was really helpful. That was something that really, again, it made it possible to move faster with music because I wasn't. it wasn't just me. I had to impress him. 
he had to impress me in our songwriting. But at the end of the day, it wasn't Josh Martinez by himself. It wasn't Sleep by himself. Yeah. It was a thing that was together. So you could have different expectations for those songs that came out, the ideas, the aesthetic, the whatever. Um, so I was always really, right away, it was just better because I would forget my lines all the time live and he would just start freestyling and it would be better than what I would have written. So I was just like, yeah, let's go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep it going. Uh, so that was another thing. He saved my ass so many times because he's, he can freestyle the drop of a hat. We ended up with very good eye contact where I would like have been, you know, six Jagermeisters deep, uh, give him a look like, right. help. Uh, and then he was just, da, 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 da. and he was like, ah. Everyone goes crazy. Next song, fresh, fresh canvas. Right. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was very fortuitous, and you know, we have maintained a 25-year-long friendship as a result of of or 20-year. I can't count, can't count years anymore. Uh, we've maintained a long friendship and a very close partnership for years. Um, him being in Portland and me being in Vancouver originally meant that we would go visit each other and introduce each other to our scenes and our world. Like, this is my guy Sleep, he's from here. And he was like, this is my guy Martinez, he's from away. And so we kind of built each other up organically in that regard. Um, but at the end of the day, it was just, he was really easy to get along with. We played really well together. We toured really well together. And uh, yeah, it was, it was um, it's the partnership that's probably produced the most um, activity for me in my music career by far because I had some momentum with Josh Martinez but I was always weird about being just by myself it, yeah. it's like it, it, I'm a pretty decent like solo performer and I can put on I can put on some airs and figure it out but it's just so much easier when you have that interaction the interplay live with other people well there's only so much like you even if you're a novelty act there's only so much you can do by yourself as a rapper yeah. it's just that's just the, the medium it's like Yes. You're in a thing where it's like, you know, and if you're by yourself, you don't have a hype man. You don't have, yeah, it's just hard. So it's a good It's move. hard. And, and I, I wanted to play this, which is Bully Bully from When Pigs Fly. So you did an EP, I believe, at the beginning, like 2003. Yeah. And then I think what I what no, what I noticed about When Pigs Fly is there's a lot more up-tempo stuff where it's like, here are guys that are obviously living on the road and they're making songs for live and this yes. is what we're hearing now and yes. so that's why i kind of wanted to you know focus on that a little bit because i mean certainly i mean how many shows have you played over the years like you must have been doing 200 shows a year at some point where there was yeah there was a seven year period that we were in the 200 plus every year and then it slowed down to like 150 yeah. like for another three or four years like a, it was it, it was a lot it was a, a wild lot. amount to do on the road and to live that way and have all that dead time. I think that's the thing that people don't necessarily understand and, and even just little tours. There's all this dead time of like the eight hours it takes to get to the next location from when you wake up and have lunch. And yeah. then you do the sound check and then you sit there for four more hours before it's time to go on. And that time is a very challenging time because you don't have anywhere to be, you don't have anything to do, and you're kind of stuck at a bar with strangers who may or may not know who you are and start pointing out to, you know, yeah. Martina. and you can feel that energy. It's very odd. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's draining, right? It's draining. It's, oh, like, yeah. it's, you know, the best hours are the hour I'm on the stage and the hour after I'm on stage. Cause yeah. then I'm just like all my, like 
nervousness is gone. I'm full of adrenaline. I'm on the backside of a great rush. Um, you know, that's that's my favorite time. And then, you know, and, and you get to meet the fans after the show when you've done something good. So you're in just a good environment. Yeah. Before that, I've got indigestion and gas. Uh, I don't want to be around people. I yeah. want to be hidden. You know <laughs> what I mean? I want to call my mom or my girlfriend. It's like, I got to be Josh Martinez here in fucking Dubuque, Wyoming or whatever. It's like, uh, it's it's an interesting life, but I just, I think there's, there's a, all that dead time really started to affect me. That yeah. idea of just like, I have nothing to do for hours. Yeah. Someone who's ADD, I like to have something to do. <laughs> well, let's check out Bully Bully here from, uh, this is When Pigs Fly, Chicharrones which is Sleep and Josh Martinez. This is 2005, I believe. Hey man, you remember when we were kids? Remember how it used to be? Remember old school? Remember back in the day how, how we used little tater tots? We used to grow up with, you know? Tater tots. <laughs> tater tots. <laughs> that wasn't over a tater tot. That was a Mexi fries. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I got a bully on my back. He said he's gonna kick my ass. Oh, I'm no. trying to figure out how this is happening to me. I did everything possible to stay out of his path. Last five minutes of class, I'm getting a rash from sweating I'm thinking of leaving a little bit early. Fuck, I gotta find a way to slip out the back. So, raise my hand. I said, I gotta leave. I told teachers with an urgency. He let me go. I'm out the door. Running down the hall full speed. I see an exit. I'm almost free. When the leg pops out of nowhere, it trips me. I slid to the darkest part of the school where the bully was waiting for me. Smokes, let's go. That's how a bully says, hello. Hello. Give me lunch money. If not, you get squashed into jello. I couldn't pop. He wouldn't stop. No. And nothing could be done. Trap. Holding back screams. The only impulse is run. The only way I'm fighting is Tyson dirty. I'm too birdie. You wanna fight me, dude? I'm long gone at 2:30. Whenever me to drink or see, I plead like a rat. Knowing I'll still see tomorrow, I'll be back. Yeah, we ain't afraid of you no more. We don't have to scurry home and lock our doors. We won't tolerate you hating on us. Now it's war. Revenge of the nerd. It's time to settle the score. Different shapes and sizes. Here's a couple of methods I found that work whenever you're trying to find them. His homie's got a black eye and or he's getting slapped by a feline or you're at the bar. He orders a drink, points at you and says, he's never seen the ground before cause he only looks up. And he rarely talks cause he's holding his breath to suck up his gut. And he walks with his arms raised on the side like he's holding invisible TV. But no matter how dumb he looks, he still scares the shit out of sleep. I, I peek around the corner, check to see the coast is clear. But I'm hoping he ain't posting up the focus on my fear. I tiptoe through the hallway, hiding, shaking all day I'm wide awake at night, lying in bed, quaking Thinking I gotta learn to fight Fist fighting, burly hair, pulling, shin, kicking yeah. Hallway tripping, recess meeting God, please, fight the screen Save the world the trouble, lock away this future felon Go. I abide by the kitty code, the one that goes No yeah. We ain't afraid of you no more We don't have to scurry home and lock our doors We won't tolerate you hating on us, now it's war Revenge of the nerds Settle the score Ha ha, we ain't afraid of you no more We don't have to scurry home and lock our doors We won't tolerate your hating on us Now it's war Revenge of the nerds It's time to settle the score Will I ever have a day when I don't have to feel 
feel this way when the running stop the sudden drop of fear no longer holding sway i think i know just how to get him he don't know my secret weapon i'm at home watching rocky karate kid and remo williams let it never be said that bullies are bred with a backbone cause once you know they know it's all for show then they back down i'm gonna do a thousand sit-ups and i'm gonna do a thousand push-ups too i'll be the charles atlas of this ratchet if i win this fight i'll be so cool when it comes to the dummies he got wrong pedigree stupid as posted so but he better be letting me know that he's ready to go so we be at the bite rack start the show hit him with the left and a duck then i send him up for the right cross now it's john i'm tackling him down to the ground i'm attacking he's crying and he's scratching and everyone's laughing and the whole school attended said that vengeance was sweet was forever remembered as the day the bully got beat oh my gosh wake up guys he just knocked you both out with one punch wow you so deserved it you guys are talking like you're so tough wake up wake up Hey dude, are you okay? My eye. <laughs> you little pigs! I'm gonna tell your mothers on you. You wait and see. So, um, running this label, Camel Bear Records. Tell me about how that, how, 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 how did that work? Like you started signing other artists, mm-hmm. um, putting out other people's stuff, not just Josh Martinez records, right? So mm-hmm. how was that going? It was, uh, I think the whole thing of doing other people's records is a challenge. And I think you 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 have a lot of experiences with, with this as well. I mean, you creatively co-signed everything you put out where I more pulled from the free market. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was, there was artists who I liked and I liked working with them. And so I, gave them a platform to put their stuff out. Um, Evil was probably the first artist that I worked with in that capacity, um, where it was like, we just, me and Miles just loved his style and loved his his stuff, it was so good. Yeah. Reminded us in the same way of Governor Bolts, where there was like really good flows, lots of space, interesting content, and he was funny as, funny as hell. Yeah. And he was a good live performer. Yeah. And so with me, so much of my product, you know, my, my my touring relied on ideally having at least one other person. He was yet another good fit to go on regional tours with. Um, so yeah, putting him out was kind of the first step. And then we started releasing other records within our crew, whether it was some Halifax stuff, like The Goods. Yeah. Um, you know, it's right about this time that we start realizing that running a record label is a terrible, terrible business adventure. Um, and we're, you know, I'm fairly successful, but I'm just a very small footprint. Um, there's just me. Like, I don't really yeah. have to, I don't have a huge amount of debt or, or people to cover. But as I start releasing other records, it becomes harder to uh, make ends meet. I find that I'm going on the road and I'm coming back and I'm paying down Camel Bear bills right. for other people's records. And again, it wasn't anything wrong with the, uh, with the music. It was just the model. Like, yeah. the model was starting to break down. The idea of having a sellable song sellable album something that people can't get for free started to disappear and so it became harder and harder to run a label and also tour first of all 
you know, it was hard to run a label. You need someone to do the day-to-day work. No one really likes doing that. Yeah. Um, me and Miles kind of split it, um, but it became hard. It became a challenge. It wasn't fun. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't financially worth it. It wasn't fun. It was good because we love our community and we wanted to support the artists that we loved. Right. Um, so you know, it became clear that the label needed to change its focus, um, and that's when we made the pivot to grant to the factor grant system and backing that up because right at the time we were kind of failing as a label, Josh Martinez as an artist had passed certain thresholds for marketing dollars and certain, certain thresholds for sales, which I could then tie to Camel Bear Records as the label that released that album that had those metrics, which then allowed me to apply for direct board approval for Camel Bear Records. Right. Direct board approval status meant that sight unseen, you could put a certain amount of projects out and they would support it. In fact, they would support it financially. So I didn't need all of the metrics that I had had to have for Josh Martinez, X amount of sales, you know, this amount of tour dates, this amount of whatevers. It was built in and now we could use that as a platform to put artists out that we just liked and especially that we're Canadian and that we could convert into grant writing um, success stories. Yeah. Right. And so we tie our album release to the grant writing. So the grant, you know, the grant will pay for the cost of making the good. And then we don't have this big debt going into making, releasing an album. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a like kind of a financial thing. And then just kind of a like, let's play the cards we're dealt. Like this is, there's this lane. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's run through it. Right. Let's get as much as we can from, from the Canadian uh you know slush fund that is known as factor yeah uh you know and and help that propel the assets that we need to make into a professional level that we can then tour on we had good music we just needed good videos good websites good albums good recording good mastering etc cetera, etc cetera. um and you were involved in some of that too i mean i think we mastered a bunch of stuff through you during that time um, Earlier on, it would have been, but later on, I, I had to walk away from it. It was just another distraction. But yes, understood. by the time yes, you were by the time you were really going, I was out of that game. Right, right, yeah. and we were we were all in on that because it it did create such a um, an economic input to help us get the product out and compete, even when we were losing money. Yeah. Right, it would like offset going to South by Southwest and bringing everybody with us or going to Canadian Music Week. We did more of the, you know, the conference circuit and then we would, you know, spend money on exclaim ads really just to show, you know, the Canadian government that we were spending their money on, you know, yeah. invisible ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a different game. And so that basically forced me into more of an administrative role and my own artistic output and touring output started slowing down in order to manage this growing roster of artists that we had, you know, we'd entered into the grant writing system. Right. Um, you know, from Snack the Ripper and Young Sin to the Lytics out of Winnipeg, um, you know, the, uh, I think who else we did it for? Um, we were, yeah, we worked with a lot of artists in smaller projects. And then when we kind of, when they had built up enough um, activity, then we kind of took them into the direct board approval system and then, you know, really kind of gave them as much resources as we could get our hands on. That system is very challenging to navigate. So it really took a lot of time to administer it. And it really forced me to 
kind of leave the life of being on the road and getting more into like paying myself to stay home and, and manage this this rangy administrative um, project projects. And so, um, is this working for you? Are you are you happy at this time, or is it? Are you getting a thrill out of doing this? It, it was weird because it didn't seem to matter what I was doing for other artists and and what resources I brought to the table. There was always a thought that they weren't getting as much as they should. If they just did it themselves, they could get it. I mean, you dealt with lots of artists too. There are some people who get the business side of things really well, and then there's some who is just really just not in their wheelhouse. And yeah. so, when you try to explain like why there isn't as much money for them because they spent it already and because it's already it's going to this and that and that's why it's not in their pockets because it's actually not for them it's for their project and the higher professionals and then getting negative feedback and having these kind of like friendships that i cherished kind of you know get you know this same kind of like distance that comes from just confusion over the resources and how they're parsed out and and you know so i started feeling just pretty negative about it to be honest it yeah. was it, it was a help but it was like the people, the artists that I was helping, it didn't seem like they were happy with the help and I didn't take a great amount of joy and I wasn't financially valuable. It was just more just like, yeah, these resources are here, we need to spend and we need to hire this guy and that guy to make videos and da, 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 da. And it was just, it wasn't fun. It was like, just no matter what I did, it did seem like I was, it wasn't being received well. And, you know, I, I, I understand part of it. Um, but at the end of the day, it was, I was subsuming my music career to be an administrator of a, um, you know, of a slush fund that was yeah. not, that wasn't really no going was, well. No one was really benefiting from ultimately. Right? They weren't really ultimately benefiting from it as much as they could have. And again, everyone just kind of thought they could do it themselves. And, you know, that's, that's the best thing when that happens is to say, okay, have a go. Right. Um, you know, and, and it became easier just because I wanted to maintain those friendships. And that's always a thing that I found is like business and friendships can be very convoluted and troublesome. And so if it gets to that point, it's best to, you know, break clear of the business. Everyone shakes hands. Everyone's still friends. You make resolution and you move forward. Um, so that was right. Like 2005 to 2008 was the really beginning of the grant writing era. And that I'm basically throttling down my own program to focus mostly on the chicharrones and then et cetera on the, on the rest of the label. Um, so interesting, exciting, challenging, but also like ultimately draining and yeah. like not fun. So yeah, you, you knew me through that era. It was, it was, um, I wasn't, I wasn't always the healthiest or happiest in that process. Yeah. It was a, I mean, you know, that particular era is, not great for anyone it was a tough time in the music business period mm -hmm. uh you know like a lot of people were having to do what you're doing as far as like it's a money losing proposition so either you go and you get it you know you go and you try and get this help this financial help from the government or else you know you figure something else out in my case i just started taking days in the film business and took a bigger yes. chunk of my thing but yeah, it was right. very, very difficult. But uh, I do want to get to like a song from around this era. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so you did finally get another album out. We did skip an album, the Midriff Music album. But mm -hmm. um, it does have my biggest hit, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, just a dude. Oh, just a dude, which is. Uh, I always think about that video when, uh, whenever I drop, because I live right near where you shot it, which is the at the uh, Waldorf Hotel. 
That's right. Uh, in the, in the in Tiki, tiki Lounge. In the Tiki basement. Yeah. And Andy, uh-huh. sh- and Andy did that when I see Andy uh-huh. once in a while. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to talk about this, um, your 2008 album. So this is uh, the song with Devin the Dude. So you would have done this. It's called The World Famous Sex Buffet. What can you say about um, the album and also working with Devin the Dude? So this was like kind of the very um, height of the resources that were available to Josh Martinez. Uh, I had management, I had uh, a booking agent. So I was touring more professionally. I was doing more festival gigs. Um, I was covering more ground, but at the same time, I was also, um, I was having a really hard time with this album. This is a really awful process, this album, because I got funded for it. Um, It went through, um, goodness, what's his name? Roger Swan. and it was right after the sort of Swollen Members album albums had blown up. And so Roger Swan was like an obvious, you know, choice to help shepherd me into the next level of my, you know, Canadian music career. Um, for whatever reason, it was like he was he was at a he was at a point in his career where I think he probably should have taken some time off and like just kind of gone away for a bit. And what is but he a manager gigs- or? No, he was a producer engineer. Oh, okay. Um, so he was given the whole record. So it, like the budget went to him and then he was you know, engineering and he ended up doing a lot of the work, but he also had like, he had to pay studio fees and da 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 da. So he was like, he was the executive and actual producer of the record. There was beats that were coming from all over the place, but it, it time was so expensive with him. It was like, I really had to have stuff finished when I came to him or something that we could just lay down. But regardless, I always felt rushed. I always felt like, you know, he was he was distracted, he was elsewhere, and it was hard to get the time in, blah, blah, blah. It was expensive. You know, I had management, I had expectations, everything's pushing. I gotta come up with a good album because I have all this stuff. I've got, I'm starting to get guests. So I've got Classified, I've got Mother Mother, a big indie rock band at the time. I've got all these different people and one, huge get for me was always going to be an artist who I was a huge fan of, which seemed like an impossible get because it was Devin the Dude. And for whatever reason, us Halifax guys had always loved Houston rap. And we knew all that Houston stuff like the back of our hands. And Devin for me was always my favorite because he sang and he was funny. And, you know, his songs were, um, you know, these really interesting, um, they were just really funny compositions. He was just a good, like a, a he was really funny. It was really uh, a good songwriter. And, uh, you know, we just, there was no chance we would ever hook up with him. And then I went to South by Southwest and I met his manager. And his manager was a really nice guy. And his manager was like, can you get me any shows in Vancouver? And I was like, well, let me ask my buddy Lou and my buddy Cass who are throwing shows. They were like, yeah, we'll do a Halloween show at Atlantis. Just to goes to show you what's what's no longer there, I'd assume. Uh, but that was a huge show. He came to town and I had Roger Swan on standby and we brought him right, we had a runner go pick him up from the airport and bring him right to the studio. And I don't think he was really told that that's what he was doing. Okay. Uh, he just kind of got there, was like, yeah, okay. and But he's like really nice, so he wasn't really asking too many questions. And then a beat got played and he was like, oh, this is dope. And we were like, so, okay, so why don't you start writing? And I had told his management, his management has told his management, like he's coming here to write a song. Nobody told that. Really? Yeah, so he was just like, uh, 
uh, okay. Uh, and then he, they were like, we like, here, have a huge blunt. Uh, start there. Uh, some BC weed. He was all very excited about the marijuana culture and BC had really good weed. And so we kind of charmed him with that. Uh, and then, yeah, he just basically laid that track down, like, just like within like 45 minutes. Wow. And he wrote it quick. He had a version that like he had a like his backgrounds, his BGs were super interesting and intricate. It was just really quick right away and it was done. And then we went and we did the show that night. It was a sold out show, uh, killed it. And then he came on and it was like Devin's first show in town and people went crazy because he was just kind of a really unique performer and a unique sound. and. Again, Halloween didn't hurt, so it was a costume party plus. Right. Uh, so it was awesome. It was a, that was a huge show, and that was the beginning of like, like a four or five year relationship with Devin, where we would play in Houston, he would play in Vancouver, we would always play with each other. He was nice enough to bring us to the Fifth Ward and have us have me and the Chicharrones get on stage. Uh, we got on stage to open up for him, and like just like you know, in the Fifth Ward of Houston, which was very much his home turf, but also people who weren't necessarily super excited about the chicharrones at yeah. first glance yeah uh we got on stage we started uh like we literally got on stage as we were walking up and this guy in the front goes oh hell no <laughs> <laughs> and that was that that was like could have been the mood setter uh but then instantly we dropped into uh eye of the tiger um and proceeded to karaoke it for like a minute and a half and then drop a hot rap where sleep goes first and just goes and it was like at that point he was our biggest fan right. he was like getting the whole crowd in like he was like we, we we turned the room in that one and a half minutes and it was like thank god because that was that was real scary yeah. i was like nobody's gonna nobody's gonna like feel real confident with me rapping like he's got to do the rapping he's got to kill this so that we're authentic and we're good yeah. then i can get away with the weird singing shit that i do so right. The, the Devin connection was a, became a close friendship. He's a really, really good guy, an incredible creator and a unique sound. And, and getting him on this album for me was my, my favorite guest of this album by far. Let's check this song out. It's called uh, Hurricane Jane. And this is uh, Josh Martinez from the world famous Sex Buffet featuring Devin the Dude. Settle for an Eldorado Never mess with exes But I mess with the best bottle And get busy model My best glaze gays get this and get dizzy though City chicks kiss like they might bite They like this shit dirty They just shuggin' and jive Fuck it, invite them up, wine and dine them And line them up, keep an eye on them I'm on it, see they don't mind when I buy them I bought off into the sunset, spend time in Bobby Blue I don't need the drama, so I nominate you To kiss these grits, you better for than you can chew I'm bit too boning in my dip, but that's kinda up to you I'm much to do about nothing when there's much to do Yeah, I got excuses, cause I'm just a dude And yeah. I touch the brew, and then the brunette And I get wasted, that's how I do yeah. You gotta stay cool, you must stay calm Even though you know here's coming a storm It won't be long before the storm is gone You gotta keep keeping it on you gotta stay cool, you must stay calm Even though you know here's coming a storm It won't be long before the storm is gone We gotta, 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 g
grabbing a pen for words Up in the lab with friends and herb I just landed but I'm about to get high once more Smoke one, puff two, spark three, blow four My eyes tight and shiny, now I'm finally up up in the way So hey, don't try to find me, I'll be gone for a while But whoever's concerned, when I return I'll be still ready to burn another one Just to help me stay sane, help me maintain Dealing with life and all that it brings But man, I can't complain You know, I'm loving it Busting down a cigar and stuffing it As I think about all my learned lessons And just being able to breathe is a blessing So I don't take it for granted I do the best that I can To keep some weed in my chest And a cold brew in my hand You gotta stay cool, you must stay calm Even though you know here's coming a storm It won't be long before the storm is gone You gotta keep, keep, keep it on You gotta stay cool, you must stay calm Even though you know here's coming a storm It won't be long before the storm is gone You gotta To offer up free titty Probably pretty much Best job on earth Every day something new To get into Me and Devin do a lot of similar shit Proud to have him on the album Like look ma I made it You know it Show it Let it go like old rap Just an old cat Trying to bring a little soul back I'ma go dancing Cut an old fashioned rug With an old fashioned mug of coast style Holy shit Someone put weed in my hand again And now I'm on the block Whether I wanted it or not Kids will be singing his song. I just need one minute to ponder this thermometer. No, 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 no. You gotta stay cool, you must stay calm. Even though you know here's coming a storm, it won't be long before the storm is gone. You gotta keep keeping it on. You gotta stay cool, you must stay calm. Even though you know here's coming a storm, it won't be long before the storm is gone. You gotta That's a nice beat. Who made that beat? You remember? Uh, Uter. DJ Uter. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. DJ Uter and who became one half of Oliver. Yeah. Which actually, I think, had some pretty major success out of LA. I think he's still doing remixes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uter. Well, Uter was like one of the original members of... Because they used to be called Evil. Right, which was U-turn. draft dodgers. Draft dodgers, yeah, draft were, dodgers. were evil. It was U-turn, Stewie, evil, and Stewie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. Cool. So, um, all right. So you obviously put this record out, and um, probably got funding like crazy. And it was like you got to put this record out because you're the biggest artist on your own label, and so mm-hmm. you got all the guests. So how did it do? Uh, it was such a disastrous, like, two years up to the release. Um, a hard drive, like, that was in the process of being duplicated, fell off a table and erased, which meant there was, like, eight months of production and finished work that disappeared. Um, 
that was among the most heartbreaking things to deal with, having finally put it to bed and felt confident about it after years of fucking around with it, to like have it like literally two months away from release, like die and have to go recreate something that was hard enough to create in the first place to recreate it based on MB3 drops of it that you had before. Yeah. It was awful. And then uh, I got dumped uh, in my relationship because I was excessively cheating, uh, which apparently isn't uh, a recipe for a healthy relationship. Um, (laughs) To say the least. That's what I hear. Uh, Yeah, uh, that's the truth. Uh, So... I, I got broken up with, uh, I was, I had been dragging out this album for almost two years with my management and my booker. And they were like, hey, if you wanna go do something on your own, you're good to go. Uh, right. Like it, it was just like time had eaten away my moment and I was on the other side of my moment and it just didn't feel like it was, it, it was, I, I knew enough of my own stuff. I knew enough of my own economics to know that I wasn't profitable for other people. Yeah. Um, that was really what it was. It was like too much of my revenue was going to my management and my booker and I wasn't able to make enough and I did all this stuff. So it was like, it was a mutual parting of ways of my industrial connection, uh, my human connection, um, and then ultimately my uh, national connection uh, because as all this faded at the very end of 2008 when i released this i was broken up with and left my management company all within the same like month um which is very you know behind the music type stuff uh and so i got in a uh i got on a greyhound and i went to visit sleep for what i thought would be a couple weeks and i've been there since 2008 um down here in portland i never came home um, so it was sort of a catalyst. I, you know, I'd been, I'd been getting tired of being in the situation that I was, which was, I, I was repeating the same experiences. I was playing the same shows for, for the same or less people. Yeah. I was less excited about doing it. It was more and more grueling, you know, and then I was single and just weird. And I was like, you know, I don't want to be on the road. I want to figure myself out. You know, I was just, I was going through a transition, moving to America seemed like a reasonable thing to do, but I, I was in a weird headspace for sure. I was very much in transition and I didn't know what to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was by moving down to uh, Portland, I essentially said, well, um, I'm all in on the Chicharones. Um, I'm here now. Uh, you know, we don't have to fly out of separate airports to meet in the middle somewhere. We're, we're a team now and I'm all in. And he was at the same point in his career where he was like, I've done enough solo records. I, I feel the same. I like being sleep, but I prefer being part of a group. It feels more comfortable. Um, diversify the exposure, diversify the responsibilities, etc. So that was really, that was the big change. That was kind of the end of uh, the Josh Martinez run as a uh, organized PR, social media seeking entity. Um, you know, I'd put that music out. I still like making music, but being Josh Martinez wasn't as appealing as being part of the teacher rounds. Cool. And so that's when I started making that transition more fully. It was kind of the end, like I said, the end of the resources, the end of the time, the end of Vancouver for me. It was really, that's what it was. It was like the, I, I there's nothing really here for me anymore. It's time to take this to another place and see what comes of it. 
So then who are the pissed off wild? So the pissed off wild was uh, my rock band. Um, it was three killer musicians from Vancouver who had played together in various incarnations, but they were um, the drummer would played with all the big kind of rock bands that came out of there. He played with Dan Mangan and Mother Mother and Submission Hold back in the day. And, um, you know, a uh, bass player who was in a bunch of jazz bands and Afrofusion bands and a guitarist who could lay at any lick down ever. Um, they're all really good musicians. And I was, again, trying to push my musical boundaries. Um, I definitely gravitated to a kind of blues rock sound, punk blues rock, basically a, a hip hop push yeah. with a bass and drums. Uh, originally it was just bass, drums and me. Um, and then we had a guitar to kind of add more flexibility. But, you know, I modeled I modeled our sound a little bit off the early Black Keys stuff, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that kind of sound. And so, it has more, it's organic, all the instruments are organic. Learning to record and just leave my vocals as opposed to doing all the stupid stuff you have to do with hip hop to make a linear hip hop track dynamic. Yeah. Um, multiple tracks, backgrounds, you know, A, B, you know, vocals that kind of come in and go out and give dynamics. Well, there's three other instruments that are there that are giving dynamics. So you don't need to do it. You can just lay vocals flat. That was hard for me to learn. I didn't have experience in a band. I right. didn't have experience sharing space. I just thought vocals should be everywhere. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're gonna break down to eight bars and we're gonna do this cool little thing. I was like, yeah, but I'll just chant and sing and make noise over it in some way. Like I can't obviously not put my vocals on everywhere, every single <laughs> inch of space. Yeah. Um, turns out you can and, and it's good to do so. Um, so those guys really pushed me to be a better songwriter and to think more intentionally about space, um, about not filling up every inch of space with my stuff, which was essentially a, a hip hop um, motif for most. Yeah. It's like, you got a track and then you fill it. Yeah. And then there's cuts, that's it. There's not really a, and you did, you did more of that as well. You did more composition where you really kind of pushed space in between, you know, four bars after a verse, or what you were just, you you were more, you you worked more on the musicality of your compositions. You weren't just like, here's a four bar loop and just fill it. And yeah. then I'll, you know, I'll scratch here. Like you, you made compositions. And I, that was what I was looking for with working with a band. And the Pissed Off Wild um, was a really, really fun live show because the musicians were badass and it just made such a, it, it was like such an interesting fusion of my style as a hip hop performer with these three musicians that had all been uh, front men for various bands they'd been in. So it was like a, a group of front men. Everybody knew how to perform. Yeah. Everybody knew how to like, you know, to, you know, high kick and make dirty looks. And our whole aesthetic was to pretend that we got in a fight before every set. Um, so we would come on stage with like fake blood that had like, you know, like scuffed up shirts or whatever, and just said that, you know, the opening act had some words to say, so we had to take them out. And it was like, you know, the opening act is sitting in front of us and they're not hurt at all. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was this sort of aesthetic of like, that we were like tough guys and that we were always fighting. And it was like, anyway, it was, those guys are amazing. We made one record together and it was another record that took four or five years to make okay. for all the same reasons. It was very difficult to choose we went through a bunch of studios. We had some money, we ran out, like da 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 da. Like we ended up self-financing it in the end, but it was just things that drag are never a good thing. Like the better, better to get it out, 
with intention, but not with overthinking over, you know, speculation yeah. about the right way to do it. Cause you'll just, I, that's always been my issue is that I, I don't know how to settle and say, this is good. It's good. Leave it alone. It's good. Right. And so they, they helped move that forward and helped make me do that. But you know, again, it's still, it was, a, and I'd moved, I'd moved in the middle of making the record. So I had to keep coming up to Vancouver. That's what I was trying to figure out. Cause it came out in 2011. And if you say we're working on it all this time, I can't imagine that. Like, I, I guess you started this whole project living in Vancouver and then it That's sort of got right. orphaned when yeah. you moved away. Yeah. We were playing when I was doing the, when I had management and booking, Almost all the time when we had big gigs, it would be the pissed off wild that would be, I would play my songs interspersed with our songs. And they would just, again, it was, it was much easier to play a show with Metric or, you know, De La Soul or, you know, uh, Blue Rodeo even, uh, you know, it was much easier to open up with them when I had a live band. Yeah. If I don't have a live band, I'm just kind of a weird karaoke thing that they don't really understand. Right. Um, well, they don't understand why they're paying me that much money. I think that's more what it is. <laughs> like, we don't really get why we're paying you this much money. It's just you and a CDJ. Right. Like, yeah, but I'm so funny. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, that was the Pissed Off Wild. Probably we were playing and again, recording as we were like in between. Um, and eventually we kind of like, yeah, it, it hit a hard stop when I left. And so we had to kind of resurrect it. And I was coming back quite frequently in those first couple of years. I was in Vancouver a fair amount. I still had, you know, friends, family stuff, things, but that was, Pissed Off Wild did take a long time to finish. So it did come out in 2011, probably started in 2006, I would imagine. Right. Well, let's check out a song. This song's called Inner City Summer. This is from, I guess, so is it just called Pissed Off Wild or is it Josh yep. Martinez in the Pissed nope. Off Wild? I think it was just Pissed Off Wild. I don't think we even had a title for it, but it was one of those, yeah, self-titled. All right, let's check it out. Just drinking the 
folks liquor Till some sick and some fall in love Somewhere all this is being measured up above We living like fools for the nightlife Living off cocktails Maybe get a job when all else fails Keeping up is not a clever part of the plot You either do or you watch It's shit or get off the pot That's a good tune. I like it. Inner city, inner, inner city summer. Pissed off wild. Uh, I think I saw you once as the pissed off wild. And I think I yeah, we were performing around for a good couple of years. At you know 2004 to 2008, we were. It was my my go to if I wanted to. Uh, well, certainly I needed uh, I needed more. I needed to be paid more if they were going to play because they were always very demanding of getting their share. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. They were they were such a fun band to play with, and yeah, when whenever I could, I would try to include them because for me it was a more challenging show anyway because they yeah. were just it, it looked more interesting. And again, part of my whole thing was I wanted to be seen more as a musician and less as just a rap. Yeah, um, that helped. That sort of uh, that aesthetic that I was looking to capture was like, oh, I got a band, so I'm so different and interesting. Well, trust me, this is why I have a band. <laughs> so. so so now you're you're in uh, uh, Portland. You've mm-hmm. put out the pissed off wild, but you're not in Vancouver with these guys anymore. Mm-hmm. And then um, I kind of want to get to what looks like your last album, um, mm-hmm. Blotto. But there's also mm-hmm. a Chicharrones album in there, 2012. Mm-hmm. So you're still kind of going. Are you still doing any day to day with the label in 2012, 2013, or have you kind of walked away? That's sort away? of the very final bit. So. 
what happens with the chicharrones in 2012 is I have really hit the end of my interest in being on the music side. The Grant stuff is now like kind of about to be in the rearview mirror. We have uh, we have received all the money we are going to receive, and that's it. Right. Um, so I kind of know that's that's coming. Um, we go to South by Southwest for our 14th or 14th year in a row um, as the Chicharrones. Uh, have an amazing time, uh, but I just I can't help feeling like I'm fucking over this. Yeah. Um, just being on the road, I'm like not inspired. Nothing ever happens at South by Southwest except I hang out with all my rap buddies from all over the country who all show up there and also don't do anything but hang out with all the other rap buddies. Yeah. All I do is look at these VIP suites and these like hotels full of people who are clearly, you know, young up and coming pop stars all getting the royal treatment and I'm sitting on the outside. Can't, you know, the playing at 8.30 p.m. at a pizza restaurant on the off street, you know, right. as opposed to, you know what I mean? Like it just, Every year, it felt like we got closer to having the right exposure at South by, and then we hit a point where it just continued to go downhill. Yeah, um, you know, so that was kind of it for me. And we played a show. We met a guy who was like, "Yeah, I manage bands." We we're like, "Yeah, yeah, fucking, you can't manage the teacher rounds. We're unmanageable." <laughs> <laughs> I know that personally. <laughs> so uh, he was like, "Well, try me," and um, he called me. I can't remember if it was, I think it was me. Cause I was, I was in the licensing game that time. I was really trying to find a way to monetize music from my catalog of my own stuff and other stuff and finding stuff that it was sample free that you could put in into films and TV. That was a weird back channel to like revenueing again, right? Yeah. If I could figure that out, I could maybe keep this going. Um, Cheech Rounds had a song called Hi Hey Hello that we'd been sitting on for a while. It was unlike any other song we had done. It was a full singing song. There was no raps in it. And on top of that, we didn't muck it up by swearing like to like offset the prettiness of it. Cause that was our usual MO. It's like, oh, here's a pretty song. So let's swear to make it sure that people know that we're not trying to be pretty. Right. Um, it was a genuine sentiment. It was about Sleep's one-year-old son at the time who was always like that with saying hi, hey, hello was his thing. He would just do it all the time. And so it was it was cute. Um, I was trying to license songs and I, I knew it was an original composition. And so I asked this new manager, I was like, okay, you wanna really like impress me? Find the home for this. It like, we should be talking to Sprint or AT&T or something. Let's get this song on a cell phone ad just that'll that'll save Christmas and he was like okay give me two weeks and I was like okay whatever this is like just typical bluster uh, April of 2012 uh, he gets the song in um, he goes and meets his buddy who happens to have the Samsung contract to do advertising out of Leo Sayers or Leo something it's Leo a, Burnett Leo Burnett yeah, yeah big advertising agency blah blah yeah. blah he's got the deal it's like fortuitous, the fact that I even mentioned it to him and I mentioned that it was a cell phone thing. He was like, bing, I got a guy. Play the song for the guy. The guy's like, this is brilliant. Like, this is just what we need. And our manager, new manager is saying, oh, well, let's see, let's see what it does if you like just loop it. And he says, no, I don't want to loop it. I want to shoot the whole thing as a music video and show the camera's functionality throughout the video. And I want these guys in the video. 
So not only are we getting our song in there, we're physically getting into the video, which for those who understand revenues, it is two lines of revenue. You yeah. get the front end where they pay you for the license to use your material, your song material in the commercial, and then they pay you for likeness of your physical likeness yes. in in this vessel. And so within two weeks of him saying it, this was in like South by Southwest mid mid March, mid April. I told them mid May we're on a UCLA campus shooting a three million dollar video for Samsung. Where we're in these different outfits, yeah. Um, you know, various background outfits, playing instruments that are not actually in the song. Um, <laughs> so it's like very tongue in cheek, and it's like young Hollywood actors who are all like doing stuff, and it's our song, and they're they're lip syncing our song, and that was really good. That was like the first home run we'd had in a really long time. So I'm sure you're sort of familiar with this. It's like just when I'm ready to leave yeah. and call it quit something good happens that drags you back in yeah so this happens and then literally within two more weeks we leave la we were there for four days it's the greatest four days i've ever had we're in the w hotel we have 200 each per diem per day yeah um it was goofy um so it was amazing so we took advantage of it we came home all refreshed feeling great we get a call maybe a week later from Kevin Lyman, who's the head of the Warp Tour, who I'd given our CD to at Warp Tour, and he's notorious for being an asshole. He doesn't like anything, or if he does, he really likes it. Whatever reason, he really liked us. He asked us to join the Warp Tour. The caveat is you can't just go on the Warp Tour. You need to be in a tour bus because people keep dying on the Warp Tour. Bands who like follow it city to city because you play during the day, you drive overnight, you get there the next day, you play that day. Like it's it's grueling for young bands who want to do the whole circuit, yeah. especially if they're driving themselves. And people die year after year, so you have to have a tour bus. Tour buses are not cheap. No. Like oh, they're uh, so uh, bananas expensive. And we had one for eight weeks and for the entirety of the Warp Tour. And we were on a side stage that we were told was going, we were going to be on a different side stage. We were on a shitty side stage. We were told we were going to be on a good side stage. Um, we spent the better part of like, I don't know, 80% of the gigs on the shitty side stage. And occasionally they would throw us a bone and put us on the good one. Right. Um, and that year was Chi Easy, uh, MGK, um, Machine Gun Kelly, for those of us mm -hmm. not counting acronyms these days. Um, I, and then like others too, who ended up being quite successful and big, but on the hip hop side, G Easy and MGK were the co-headliners and they weren't known at all at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, the teacher owned stayed that way. Uh, they got bigger, we stayed unknown. Right. Uh, so, it was it was a really tough run. It was like kind of the culmination of everything that I wanted to do, which was like tour and a to do the, like have a gig. But they didn't pay us very well at all. Yeah. And we had to sell a bunch of merch, and that wasn't enough. And we just we went into debt really hard on that tour, and it was a lot for like imagery and like for potential opportunities. We had a publicist for the whole time, so it was like kind of again similar to the Josh Martinez era in two thousand eight. It was like the last great resource binge. Yeah. for an album called Swine Country, which similar to World Famous Sex Buffet was wildly overproduced. I, it was just, we couldn't leave it alone. We kept messing with it, changing it, 
you know, layering it so much that it just, it didn't have a soul. And, you know, there's some good songs on there, but it's, it's the same thing as, um, it's the same thing as Sex Buffet. It was just, there was, it was allowed to fester too long yeah. and it wasn't, it just, it, it became a mess. Um, and that was the final. Right. That was, yeah, that was really kind of the end of, uh, like that sort of run of last, like huge kind of lifts was kind of the very end. It was a really nice end, but it was also, I think, it was very final for me at that point. I was ready to transition into another new challenges, right? I felt like I'd gone as far as I could in music. I think that's important is like you needed to give it everything you had, right? And there's nothing more than going on on higher profile tours like that, going into the debt, you know, giving another year of your life. And then you can kind of go, well, you know, like I kind of did it on a smaller scale before because it was like for me, we wanted to start a family in the mm-hmm. in the aughts, later in the aughts. And it was like, uh, OK, well, I'm going to go on one more tour and just see how I feel. And then when I got off that tour, it was, you know, not a warp tour or anything. It was just a regular old Canadian tour where you sleep on people's couches. But you know you still it was like you know that was the same as the last one and the one before that and i feel like i'm ready to move on and you know you gave it a go yeah. and you have to kind of go into it like that so well you don't want to regret not like not give like that one last thing right yeah. like oh if i just done this then we would have had another two three years and it would have been all classic rock concerts for the rest of my life yeah you know what i mean yeah. like classic rock freedom fest out in fucking Boise, Idaho, starring, you know, McEnroe and Peanuts and Corn. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, you know, I had, there was a casino run I was hoping I would see eventually. Like, <laughs> you know, there's there's a place for us old rappers, but I don't, uh, I haven't figured it out just yet. There is. Um, but I just think you, like, you're built similar to me in that if it's not a challenge, you can't do it. Like, if it was, if I was, if we were making money while doing it, that would be more of a, a motivator right because you're being successful and you're able to like pay your bills and pay your rent from the occupation where you spend your time yeah but if you not only don't make enough money doing it but you're doing it all the time and you're really like like spending effort and intention and you know like mental and capital resources and not having an outcome that feels good then it just i, I just got bored yeah. i just got bored and that was that it was like i felt bad because there were people within the community who weren't bored yet, who were really passionate about it, still wanted to give it a go. And I was just like, I don't, you know, I, 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 I'm not inspired anymore. And I would like to come back to music making inspired and feeling confident and comfortable in my intellectual and financial life such that when I come back to it, I'm excited about being part of it. I'm excited about uh, contributing. And again, I, there will be no time in my future life where being on the road 270 days of the year would be at all remotely interesting or challenging or something I would do. That's a, that's a time and a place. Yeah. Um, you know, you get older, you get comfortable. Uh, you know, you no, don't, you don't just, want to do that. God, no, God, no. So that's the thing. It's like, it's a time and the place to be able to be free to go pursue it without boundaries, without responsibilities. Yeah. Just with the like, you know, with your with your dream and uh, you know, hopefully a credit card. Uh, <laughs> credit card really did me well for a long period of time. That was that was the the guts of my operations was just having a credit card. Uh, you know, the the ability to buy something in advance to then go do a show to hopefully, you know, 
make it make it make it come around. But yeah, I was. I just think like anything, there's a time and a place, and as an active artist, as a human being, you want to constantly grow just as a human. And if you don't, your art suffers and your art's derivative. And it just feels like, I just didn't feel like I, I had a direction to go that I hadn't gone. I think I'd, I'd gone down different paths. I never wanted to produce or, or, or do any of that stuff. I just that there was enough people I knew who were really good at that. Yeah. I just wanted to try to push myself as a songwriter to sing more specifically as opposed to just kind of using it as an inflection for tone. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, I still write, I still make, I still make songs. Like I, I have a studio. I mean, Lord knows it's not in the picture, but see, it's a microphone. It's real. Yeah. Uh, I do stuff. That's great. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, but it's on my time. Uh, and it's not the thing that I focus all of my energy on. It doesn't consume my mental capacity to try to figure out how to like, not only make ends meet for myself through music, but another group of people on top of that, yeah. um, you know, who have their own goals and desires and, and, you know, so it was, it was, it's been, it's been very healthy for me to have taken a step back and I get to kind of continue to watch people grow and thrive. I, I must say one of my favorite moments this year was right before the pandemic was seeing Mercules down here. Um, knowing that guy since he was just a little feller, yeah. uh, coming in town with a tour bus and a sold out show on a Tuesday night. Is that right? And I was like, I didn't know anybody knew him here. Yeah. I don't I know anything know anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, he sort of followed the, you know, snack the Ripper, uh, model of like, kind of, um, you know, kind of wrapping his ass off, finding some Europe success. He, you know, Snack is in a lot of places too. I think Mercules is just a little bit younger and he's been able to take advantage of the steps that people took before him and catapult himself much faster. Cause he's, from all I can tell, he's doing very well. Right. And you know, that, and that's, that's a sign of great pride for me is that people that we helped kind of do a, do a thing, find a, find a voice, have found their own platforms and their own maturity around it and they'll hand it off to the next man and and so on and so forth right good luck boys there you go <laughs> well that seems like a good place to to leave it i mean there's a lot of knowledge dropped there that's pretty good stuff my man my man thank you so much for having me on this roddy i was i i was not sure it was going to go a solid three hours but i'm thrilled it did yeah no 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 doubt I mean, you got stories and, you know, we we barely scratched the surface of your catalog, really. It's just like you did a lot of work over those years. So 15 years, I guess, from like 98 to 2013. Yeah, a lot of work. Yeah, Blotta was kind of the very tail end of the Josh Martinez stuff. And another thing that was like very intentional, it was sort of about my breakup, but also it was about moving on from a breakup. It was all produced by Stewie, uh, Stewie Kubrick and Sapient. Yeah. Um, was an artist I was working with a bunch of the time who also sang and produced and, you know, so it was, it was, I think I ended in the, at the right time. I'm, you know, I'm thrilled with my catalog. I'm thrilled with the fact that people still listen to it and it still impacts people and they still think fondly on it. And I think that makes me really happy and proud. I think that's something that you need to remember after all this, all this time that, you know, our voices impacted people and their day-to-day lives and their dreams and their motivations. I think that's a very incredible blessing to 
have given people and to have received on the other side, like, you know, thanks, that meant something, you know? Uh, I want to thank UGS Meg for hosting this podcast as I do every uh, week and thank everybody for listening. But yeah, I really want to thank you for uh, joining me today. That was awesome. Oh, you got the poster. Look at you. So he's showing me live on video the UGS Mag poster with all the rappers on it, including a drawing of I, myself. I literally, I bought that. Uh, I bought that uh, maybe two months ago. I found, I was cruising Uggs Mag site for some reason, and I I saw it and I was like, oh shit, that's me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I I I bought the whole shebang. I bought the the version with the frame and everything. Oh, nice. Very proud. Goes to Very a good proud. cause. Yes, absolutely. I felt I felt like that was a, that was a for sure thing. So send my love to uh, to the Uggs Mag boys. They've uh, they've been a strong strong hip hop supporter for as long as I can absolutely. remember. Yes, uh, much respect. My, much respect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for joining me. Thanks everybody for listening, and good night. <laughs>